Hello there friends, this is Spencer Michaud, and today we're going to be talking about the astrology of May 2022. I hope that you're doing well out there and hanging in there at the end of uh, April here, and the uh, upcoming eclipse season and starting to feel some of the changes and the earth moving beneath your feet, but I hope that you're finding some, at least some peace and stability throughout all of that. Uh, I am looking over here in the chat, if you're just joining us, Please tell me where you're joining me from and let me know that you're here. It's always really wonderful to see um, all of your smiling faces here in the chat and see where you're joining me from, from all different corners of the world. Uh, I wanted to say uh, thank you to all of you who have been sending me um, support and well wishes over the past week or two. Um, for those of you who didn't know, my mom passed uh, last week and been processing that. Um, and I wanted to show you a card just to start out today before we get into it, because I feel like I've really experienced this card over the last few weeks, uh, the, the, the pluses and the minuses of it. And that's the, the Five of Cups, which is associated with the first decan of Scorpio. And you can see that you have a figure here that is uh, cloaked in black and is in mourning with three spilled cups but one of the really most interesting things about this card is the two cups that are still standing behind him. And I've been really feeling this lately, just mourning the loss of um, the past and of my mom, but also feeling uh, just so very blessed and grateful for uh, my community, for my family, and for the things that still remain. So I just wanted to say thank you to all of you, and it's really important to me um, all of those, um, you know, words of affirmation and, and kindness that people have shown me. So uh, it really does make me feel um, supported. So again, big thanks to you. Uh, I think that when we go through challenging times like this, having uh, the support of friends and family is one of the most important things and one of the greatest um, wealths that we can have. Um, so I just wanted to say that and, and kind of... Uh, reiterate that to how grateful I am for all of you. Um, I'm looking at the chat here and seeing a few friends stopping by. Remco is joining us from the Netherlands. Nice to see you, my friend. Uh, Celia is stopping in from Spain. Welcome, Celia. Uh, Place of Stillness, Manuela is here uh, from Sweden. Welcome, my friend. Um, and if you're just joining us in digital land, please drop me a, a note here in the, in the chat box. Um, we're probably going to go maybe a few hours today. We'll see how how we're doing. If you have questions about the things that we're talking about today, please put them in the chat. I always love, uh, you know, teaching or, or helping to bring clarity to things. Uh, Henry is joining us from Kentucky. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Henry, for the, the kind words as well. Lynn is joining us from Vermont. Welcome, Lynn. Um, nice to see you here. Uh, uh, Tanya is giving me the purple heart. Thank you, Tanya, for being here. Tanya is stopping in from Jacksonville, Florida. We've got a few Tanyas here in the chat sometimes. Uh, Yana is here today. Welcome, Yana. Thank you for the nice note that you sent me. I really appreciate that. Um, and X is here from Vancouver Island. Uh, yes, this is it. We've got some new folks in the in the chat today. It's, it's always wonderful, like I said, to, to see all of you. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to go through the astrology of May, which is fairly significant. We've got uh, still some pretty significant um, movement in the sky at the end of this month. 
we'll try to process the the end of April and how that's going to affect the beginning of our May. Um, we're going to go through one decan at a time. So a decan is a is a ten degree section of the zodiac. So we'll start off this this talk with the sun in in the second decan of Taurus, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Give you a little bit of a preview of my decan's workshop that I'm going to be doing on Saturday, May the fourteenth. So if you are interested in going in a deep dive into Taurus archetypes and the decans and the tarot, the fixed stars, the mythology, all of the kind of things that I try to weave together in these live streams, um, you know, please join me for that. You can see a link to sign up in the description of this video. Um, I am still doing readings as well, so if you are uh, in need of some guidance during these these challenging times, um, you know, please reach out, and I'll, I'll try to do the best that I can and and um, try to bring some clarity to it. Uh, we've got a few more people joining. Cookerzilla is here from Mahone Bay. Thank you, Cookerzilla, for joining today. Um, again, let me know if you're here in the chat. It's always nice to see everyone. Um, do me a favor, too, if you're just joining us, one of the easiest things you can do to support the channel here is hit the like button. Um, if you're new to the channel, uh, please be a subscriber, and you can find out when we're going live again. We usually go live um, three or four times a month. And um, we've been building uh, some great friendships from all over the world here. Uh, Jody is here from Florida. It says, hi, Spencer and friends. Greetings from South Florida, stopping in from work. Uh, well, thank you, Jody, for joining us today. Um, I hope that you are doing well also and that things in your um, experience right now are, are uh, peaceful. Um, all right. So I'm going to kind of give us an overview of the things that we're experiencing here. Um, again, May 14th. Decans of Taurus, please join me. It's a Saturday, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 p.m. Uh, reach out for readings. If you'd like to make a, do, do a material donation to the work that we're doing here today, I'll get it. I'll spit it out. Uh, there is a little uh, dollar sign at the chat. It's called a super chat or a super sticker. Um, and that supports the work that I'm doing as well as uh, you can donate at buymeacoffee.com. All right, so we've gotten all our business out of the way here. And um, I'm just going to kind of start going over some of the big picture thoughts that I have for the month here. Um, first of all, I want to wish you all happy Earth Day. Today is Earth Day, so we will kind of start exploring some of the earthy, the earthy parts of Taurus, uh, which in general to me is something that is usually a, a peaceful, beautiful time. Um, you know, I have a moon in Taurus, so it's usually one of my favorite times of the year. Although I will say this Taurus season, as well as um, every Taurus season since Uranus has been in Taurus has been a little bit uh, of a shakeup, um, a, a time period where we normally are kind of building our foundations and kind of getting into a place of calmness and, and enjoying the spring weather. Uh, there's a little bit of curveballs and surprises that get thrown our way with uh, Uranus in I'm sorry, in in Taurus here. Um, the other challenge that I think we have with Taurus season right now is Saturn is in, in what is called an overcoming square to the Taurus sun and all of the planets in Taurus. And that's a condition in Hellenistic astrology that um, makes it sort of difficult for the planets that uh, Saturn is witnessing and, and providing testimony for and aspecting. So there may be some feelings of limitation that come through this Taurus season where we might want to do certain things. We might want to plant certain seeds, but there are larger considerations that we're having to take into account. Um, so that is that is something that I wanted to point out. Uh, 
we're going to have a number of lunations this month. Um, we're going to see a, we're going to begin this month around the first, just coming off the new moon solar eclipse in Taurus too. So I'll break down Taurus too in a second, but, but that's something to keep in mind as we start the month um, is that we are fully in the midst of eclipse season and eclipse seasons are always shaking things up. Um, they are chapter markers. Uh, there is a, you know, people like to say that they're, they're portals where energy can come in and go out. I think that I've said this before, but I wanted to say it again, as I think that the word portal is overused in, in our divinatory um, practices. But I do think that eclipses in general, if, if any um, type of divination or, I don't know, aspectual relationship would represent a portal, I think it would be an eclipse because traditionally the, the nodes of the moon, which is, I'll show you this, I'll pull my screen up and we'll start diving into it here. So you can see here, on, this is my uh, chart for May 1st, but I just want to go back one more day just to see because this is it's actually pretty important showing um, the last really the last uh, day that we have here of April you can see here we've got a 10 degree Taurus Sun and Moon uh, that is fairly close to the north node of the moon okay so here we have the north and the south node of the moon they are always exactly opposite one another and when we have a new or a full moon near one of those nodal points uh, that's when we have an eclipse, okay? So the the ancients would think of these north and south nodes in a couple of different ways. In the, in the Hellenistic uh, way of thinking about it, the north node was a point of increase where uh, we had the energy coming into the world, and the south node was a point of decrease where things were leaving the world, where we were wrapping up loose ends and, and composting. Um, you know, we have a Vedic understanding and Vedic mythology surrounding those nodes that are related to dragons and serpents, where we had the, the severed head of a dragon or of a demon that wanted to steal the elixir of life, and that's, that's called uh, Rahu. Uh, so that's the north node, the north node being related to Rahu, the severed head that is trying to acquire something, maybe even materially, and this hunger that can never be satisfied. Whereas the south node was called Ketu, and that was the, the body, the, dis, the dismembered body of that demon that was processing all of these old experiences. Um, so I think that uh, one of the ways that I differ from maybe some more modern um, evolutionary perspectives is that I don't think we necessarily are trying to move towards one or the other I don't necessarily believe that it's the, the quote-unquote evolution of the soul as well. Um, I do think that if we think about, about it um, objectively as increase and decrease, um, desire versus processing, and really try to balance those two energies out and those two ways of thinking about it out, I think we're going to have a much more rich experience of it without making the mistake of thinking that, well, this is the we have to let go of any qualities that are associated with this south node, or we can only do the, the, the work of the north node. I think that that's something where we can really maybe go astray on some level. Um, so this is this eclipse that we have at the end of April going into, we're going to keep feeling this at the beginning of May. 
um, is, is a, a Rahu eclipse. So this is where energy is coming in, where we may be having a, a really powerful new beginning. Uh, new moons in general are powerful seeding events. But the, this, uh, when we have an eclipse period, uh, a solar eclipse as, as we have here, it's an even more powerful seeding experience. Now, I, I do want to also give you a heads up that the ancients believed that eclipses were malefic events. They were, um, uh, I mean, think about it like this. You're in the ancient world. You don't have uh, a, a super solid um, Cartesian understanding of science. And you see the sun starting to black out, <laughs> turn off. Uh, and that's probably, you're like, wow, that's, that's probably not good because the sun or the moon is, is life-giving. So the two lights are, the, are, are bodies in the sky that were revered as not only as deities, but the givers of life. And when they became darkened or were shut off, that was um, pretty scary for people in the ancient world. Um, so this is why you see a lot of people talk about eclipses being really challenging um, because you know something is getting turned off uh, and so that something else can be born. Um, and that's part of just being cyclical and, and cyclical reality. I'm um, taking a look at the chat here. Uh, Her Henry says, Spencer, I keep meaning to tell you how much I enjoy hearing from you. My brother is a 12th house cancer son with a Scorpio moon. It's Mercury and Leo, and he's a big guy with huge curls. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'm glad I remind you of someone that you care about and that um, I'm able to continue to kind of do the work here, even throughout some of the changes. I think that that's one of the things I've really wanted to commit to is even though uh, I'm going through some really challenging times, not only with the loss of my mom, but a lot of shakeups in my, my living situation. Um, you know, my daughter is growing up and going to, to college soon. So there's a lot of changes going on. There's some things going on with my house where there's a lot of um, repairs and things like that that are having to be done in a very short period of time. So, but I, I say all that not as an excuse, but just to say that um, it's okay to kind of just show up and not completely maybe be at your 100% best or most centered, because I think that's how life goes. Um, we're not always going to have the per perfect circumstances. And I think that um, integrity is kind of doing the best that you can in the moment that you have, despite what's going on around you. Um, so that's why I just wanted to be here with all of you throughout all of this, because I think we can learn from each other through through these experiences um, that we don't have to feel 100% glossy all the time. And it's, that's tough for a Leo Ascendant like me to say, as, as I sometimes I want to go run and hide if I'm not feeling my best. But um, I think just showing up is important and it creates trust between all of you and me as well. So thank you. Thank you, Henry. I'm happy to be here with you. Um, Andrea is joining us from Croatia, Space Tiger. It's wonderful to see you, my friend. Yevgen, uh, thank you for, for your kind words and for participating today. Uh, Kate is joining us from New Hampshire. Welcome, Kate. Um, yeah, and Kate's saying that, that their K2 is conjoined Uranus, so maybe there will be some familiar chaos, yes. Um, well, well, we'll see what, what it brings. All right, so... So this is that's sort of a primer on uh, eclipse, how eclipses work, you know, like what they may be bringing us. Um, 
I had a wonderful guest on last week that was really holding some beautiful space for me, Shu Yap from Australia, who was talking about sort of the meta cycles related to new and full moons and also to eclipses. And we can see the, these eclipses being related to time frames that are, I believe that there's a, what is it, about an 18-year cycle. I might be a little bit off on my years with that. Um, but there is a meta cycle that we're experiencing as well. So I want you to go back in your, um, back into your, I don't know, your journals, your memory banks, and see what was happening when the when the nodes were in Scorpio and Taurus previously, because uh, that can give you a lot of insight as to some of the things that might be coming up for you now. Okay, so this is that's really what we're starting off with with this this new moon solar eclipse energy, uh, a, a brand new start. Many of us have been going through a letting go period to prepare us for this new start. I think this is one of the things that Saturn in the third decan of Aquarius has been bringing us is the need to move beyond um, the old karmic ties. And I'm showing you in here uh, the, the Seven of Swords card, which Austin Coppock calls the knot. So he talks about the frustration uh, necessary sort of to, to, to get kind of um, I don't know what the word would be, uh, to feel um, enough anger or frustration, I don't know if anger is the right word, but discontent, that's the word I'm looking for, enough discontent to actually make the change and say, you know what, I really do need to make a change. And, and we are going to see this with the I Ching reading that I did today is that it really is time to move on. And we really have to commit to it 100% to be able to to be successful with it. This isn't a time for half measures. This is a time really for committing to the action. Um, so Saturn may be bringing that to us. Now we also are fresh off a Jupiter-Neptune conjunction where we were seeing certain things dissolving to be able to bring something new into our experience. And then at this eclipse as well, we have a Venus-Neptune, I'm sorry, well, Venus and Neptune are close together, but Venus and Jupiter are conjoining at Venus's degree of exaltation which I think could be very positive. I, I know that eclipses generally are malefic events, um, according to the tradition, but there are also some simultaneous, very positive aspects happening, like a Jupiter-Venus uh, conjunction at Venus's degree of exaltation. I mean, that is, you know, I don't know if it gets much better than that as far as a, a conjoining of two planets. Those are the two benefics coming together in a very powerful place for both of them, the house of Jupiter and the exaltation of Venus. So maybe through some of these challenging events, we are having some beauty come out of it. Um, that degree of Pisces is in the third decan, which is, has a, a, a 10 of cups tarot card related to it. Here you can see this beautiful rainbow and this happy family, this idealistic vision. So we may be really working with an idealistic vision and maybe the fruition of something that we've, we've cherished for a long time. Um, and I can say that even though I've gone through some losses, there are definitely some things that I'm going through that are maybe the manifestation of a dream as well. So um, life doesn't have to be one thing or the other. We can experience pain and joy and, uh, and suffering and pleasure simultaneously. In fact, I think that that's you know, more realistic than thinking about, well, it's, it's all good all the time or everything's bad all the time. I mean, that's the, the gray area that we have to learn to reconcile is that sometimes these things can happen all at once. And, um, you know, it's not just one, one way or the other.
Um, EK is joining us from Madison. Welcome. Welcome, Beth. Nice to see you here. Uh, and, and Kate says, Uranus makes sense here now um, for those not letting go. Yeah, I think that that's, a, that's, a, that's key. Um, when we're looking at this uh, eclipse, right? We're looking at this eclipse. Uranus is a big part of it. So we're going to need to do something in a different way than we've done it in the past. We're going to, our foundations, our routines, our, the way that we deal with material resources is going to have to go through a process of shakeup. And if we're not willing to do it consciously, Uranus is the type of planet that will bring it to us whether we want it or not. Um, I'm always surprised by some of the manifestations, even if I see it coming, it's always a surprise. It's that lightning bolt of awareness. Um, but I think that when we, when we get that lightning bolt, the first reaction is shock. And we also are shocked into clarity, I think, sometimes. I think that when you hear, when you see lightning and you hear a thunderbolt, you're like, the adrenaline wakes you up because you feel that sense of danger. But in the I Ching, they talk about hexagram 51 shock, which I think is related to Uranus, in my opinion, just seeing a synchronicity between them. Um, it really, they talk about the shock and then the laughing afterwards, right? Because you're like, oh, wow, that really jolted me out of this lethargy or this, this slumber. And now my senses are ready and I'm ready to, to, to maybe pot potentially take an action due to that new clarity. So this could be another manifestation of this eclipse season, uh, having Uranus playing such a, a pivotal role within that, is that there may be things that shock us into clarity, but also will allow us to get out of a rut. I think that that's what um, this Uranus and Taurus too is really talking about. Uh, Dimphy is joining us from the Netherlands. Hello, Dimphy. Nice to see you. Uh, Lynn says, learning to live with ambivalence is the key to adulting. 100%. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Lynn. Um, I think that we have these sometimes as, as youthful, uh, I don't know, naive young people, we want things to be one way or the other. And we get frustrated because sometimes we feel like fate is conspiring against us. And as we get older, we start to learn what, what limitations that we actually do have to work within and which ones we can let go of. So I, I agree with that. And I think that's a, a, wise, a wise statement. Uh, Jody's saying, I haven't seen many great things happening during the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction. I also lost my mom Easter morning. I'm sorry, Jody. I know you and I had been talking about that. Um, and my heart goes out to you and um, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's always a difficult thing, no matter how old or how um, sick they had been. Um, my mom had been, uh, she had had a stroke a few years ago and had been in declining health for a couple of years now, but it's still a shock. It's still difficult. And um, just reach out to the people that you care about. And we're, we're here for you as well, Jody. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring you a little bit of peace just by our presence together today. Um, Maria says, uh, joining us from Belgrade, Serbia. Welcome, uh, Maria. I think that's how I say your name. Um, thank you for your kind words as well. Um, we have, let's see. Yeah, we've got some kind words and condolences for Jody. Yeah, again, this is, this is the type of thing that we see in the five of cups is we experience a loss, but sometimes there's little silver linings that come out of it. And we don't, we don't necessarily have to ignore the loss and, and, you know, warp speed through the loss. I think 
grief and mourning is very important. And I think that that's something in our culture that we, we try to skirt over and say, well, you're going to be stronger for it. <laughs> Maybe that's true. But on some level, sometimes uh, it's just painful. And it's okay to acknowledge that. And I hope that we can create space for all of you to um, have honesty in, in, in your feelings, even if you're not at your best. So again, well, trying to hold space for all of you here today. Um, so shakeups in our routines. One thing I wanted to, let me just give you a little bit of an overview as we get further into depth here, because what I'm going to do is I'll give you some of the big picture thoughts. Uh, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to explain um, a, a preview of the decans uh, because we're, we're going to, when the sun moves through these decans, it basically shines a light of awareness and clarity on some of those issues. And th th those are the, that becomes the, some of the canvas of our shared experience that we're having an awareness of. So we have this eclipse on the 30th of April. We're going to see a a first quarter moon, let's go through all the lunations, a first quarter moon on the 8th of May at 18 degrees of Leo. So we're going to have a square between the moon and Leo and the moon and the sun in, in Taurus. On the 16th, the culmination of this April 30th eclipse is happening uh, with a full moon lunar eclipse at 25 degrees of Scorpio. I'll break that down when we get, when we get to it. Um, but we have some, that's a pretty challenging um, lunation. Uh, Saturn will be squared that eclipse almost exactly. Uh, the moon will be in its in its fall, and the sun will be on a fixed star called Algol, which is one of the more difficult fixed stars in the sky. Um, the in in Chinese astrology and, and mythology they called it piled up corpses. So some some tough energy that hopefully I'll be able to to maybe help help us navigate um, with with myth. Um, so. Keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, there will be a last quarter moon on the 22nd of May at one degree of Pisces, where it will be squaring the, the sun newly ingressed into Gemini. Um, that may reflect some of the, uh, the the desire to go internal with the moon in P Pisces 1 and the the desire or the, the awareness, if we bring in the, the key words for the sun, awareness, of the multiplicity of pathways that we could take, the choices. So there may be a, a conflict between external action and choice and wanting to go off into our own internal worlds and our imagination. So that's the 22nd. And then at the end of the month on the 30th, um, which by the way was my mom's birthday. So happy, happy birthday to you. Um, happy heavenly birthday to you, mom, on the 30th of May. Uh, there will be a new moon at nine degrees of Gemini. So we will we'll break that down as well. Now, there are a few ingresses uh, in this month as well. Venus will start out the month in the last degrees of Pisces, as we're seeing on this chart here. Uh, and I'm going to click this forward to May. Okay, so this is where everything is starting. We're, we'll have a tiny, tiny sliver of Venus in uh, Pisces. Uh, and that will be the host of the sun for a, a period of time. So for the end of this month until the beginning of May, the Taurus sun is hosted by a very dignified Venus. Once we hit the beginning of May, Venus is going to move into her exile uh, in Aries. Uh, so an uncomfortable place for Venus. The other thing that's happening when this happens, and I'll just show you, 
is that when Venus moves into Aries here, it's also moving into what's called an aversion to the sun, a blind spot. So not only is Venus moving into a place that it, it's not super comfortable, doesn't have its resources, it's in the house of Mars, where it's trying to create unity in a place of conflict and separation. Uh, it also will not be able to witness and bear testimony to the sun, which will make it make for some difficulty, I think. Uh, sometimes this, and this is a, something according to another astrologer, Martine Hermes, who draws heavily on Robert Schmidt, uh, the exaltation Lord can take over. So in the, the case for the, the, for Taurus, the moon is the exaltation Lord. And in this case, it, the moon isn't witnessing as well, but we may have to rely on maybe some lunar help as the moon moves through these different positions. So we may be really reliant on the moon, um, for, for some of our solar help this this month as the you know venus because venus isn't really able to do much um yes yeah jody's asking if pluto just stationed remco you're you're correct uh, pluto was stationing on the 30th of april so we are also reviewing some of our uh some of our systems that that may be needing um you know transformation i guess that's the cliched word but i think that anytime we see pluto doing something we're having to deal with something that was repressed and i think that you know if we deal with it consciously some of the we can maybe utilize it with grace if we if we uh, don't acknowledge it it can start acting behind the scenes like like a i don't know like a cancer right like something that is growing uh invisibly that could be wreaking havoc on our systems and creating corruption and instability. So um, we may have to review some of those things, especially when it comes to how we administrate uh, our, our collected resources, uh, our, our political systems, um, the way that we govern our life is, is what Pluto is maybe looking for in the third decan of, of Capricorn. Uh, and Kate is saying that Aphrodite being consumed by Ares, yeah. I think that what happens when Venus moves into Aries here, as we're seeing at the beginning of the month, is that normally Venus would be a planet that would, I guess depending on its phase, I'll make a caveat here. Sometimes there are astrologers that talk about the morning star Venus, which we're, we're seeing here when it rises before the sun, being more of a warrior Venus, right? And the evening star being more of that conciliatory peacemaker. Um, and that may be true. But, but also we're seeing generally Venus significations talk about receptivity, um, being able to receive good fortune uh, by becoming open to it. And when we have Venus moving into Aries, a lot of the times I, with, with clients that I see and with just significant events in the world, we get a little bit impatient and we try to pursue something that would be better served by um, becoming open to and being uh, receptive to. So, you know, Venus becomes very young in, in Ares or, or in, in uh, Aries, in Ares's house. So just, I guess, would just be careful that you're not trying to overly um, pursue something that would be better served by letting it come to you. Uh, because sometimes you can even drive away the object of your desire by, by over, over pursuit. Okay. So, so those are our lunations. That's the condition of the host of the sun moving forward through the beginning of the month. 
we will see Jupiter also moving into to Aries on the 10th of May. Um, the sun will move into Gemini on the 20th of May. And then we're going to have, uh, over the course of the month, Mercury is stationing retrograde, and it's going to make its inferior conjunction. I'll talk about that in a second. Excuse me. And it will eventually retrograde back into the third decan of Taurus on the 22nd. On the 24th, Mars will move into Aries and you know gain a lot of dignity. So, so Venus is losing dignity this month for May, you know, for going from her exaltation to her exile, and Mars will be gaining a lot of dignity as we go to the end of the month. So there may be uh, more conflicts. There may be more um, drive. We, maybe we have more energy towards the end of the month, potentially. Um, we may be able to uh, carve our own path uh, rather than have to make adjustments to others, or we may desire that. I think that's the other thing. A lot of the times where the planets are at, that can reflect you know, the type of influences that we may be feeling. So we may desire to, to strike out on our own a little bit more towards the end of the month and create some more sovereignty and independence. Uh, on the 28th, Venus will move into Taurus. So, you know, Venus is moving pretty quickly through, through Aries here. And eventually, by the end of the month, she will be uh, in her own domicile once again, in a place where she can create fertility through being receptive, like, like the earth, like the the fallow ground or the, the, the uh, fertile ground. I don't know, fallow may not be the right word. Um, <laughs> mixing up my ground uh, adjectives here. Fecundity, right? Uh, that's, that's Austin Kopic's favorite word, Fer fertility, fecundity. Uh, Venus will be able to, to receive when she's in Taurus. So those are our ingresses. We have a couple solar phases this month as well. On the 5th of May, the sun will be conjoining Uranus, right? So we have a, a renewal of that Uranian energy potentially. Um, and that's going to shake up our, our, our routines and our systems, as we'll see as I, as I dive into the second decade of Taurus in a minute here. Mercury will station retrograde on the 10th, uh, as well as move under the sun's beams. So Mercury is going to be uh, going through some changes um, the, we're going to have the retrograde at about four degrees of Gemini, and then it's going to move under the sun's beams, which is within the 15 degree mark of the sun. So this is Hermes going into the underworld as psychopomp, um, maybe trying to, to retrieve some information that we were lacking the first time around in this cycle. And then eventually we will have Mercury's Kazemi or inferior conjunction with the sun on the 21st of May at zero degrees of Gemini, which is, that seems to me like a, a very powerful Kazemi because we have Mercury in its own house at a zero degree point. Um, that could be a very, very interesting Kazemi, um, especially for, I think, for, a, you know, taking a new path, for learning something new, a new system of learning. Um, and I'll, I'll get into that as we, as we approach it on, on the daily. One other thing I've been trying to incorporate into these uh, these forecasts is is the the condition of moon out of bounds, and that's a condition where the moon is outside of the uh, the normal declination or path of the sun above or below the ecliptic, 
And, you know, it can be a, a period of time where our emotions may feel a little bit extreme and we may be uh, receiving intuitions or, or things of that nature that may be sort of out of the, out of the, the collective norm. Uh, so we will have a moon out of bounds period from May the 3rd to May the 7th. Uh, and then May the 18th to May the 20th, and then at the end of the month from May 30th to June the 4th. So something to keep in mind as well. If you're like, why am I feeling so so emotional? <laughs> like, why am I just flipping out? Like, you know, sometimes the moon out of bounds can, can speak to that. Um, it doesn't always have to be bad. It can, you know, sometimes when we are allowed to feel our feelings, uh, we can get some really great insights with that. And it can be really, um, really healing and cathartic to, to express those feelings on some level as well. So um, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. All right, so those I think are some of the big picture uh, lunations, ingresses, planets moving into new signs, solar phases, which I think are important for people to, to, to recognize in the astrological uh, you know, pantheon of techniques, and then the moon out of bounds. Um, we're going to be dealing with a hexagram this week, number 49 to 43, which is revolution to resolution. And I'll explain that at the end of the show. And the animal that we have that we're going to explore is the guinea pig, uh, which is a, a, a funny little animal um, that I think is speaking towards um, being social on some level. It's a very social animal. So I'll break down both of those at the end of the show as well. Okay. How y'all doing out there? Everyone doing okay? Um, yeah, Kate says, my Pluto keyword, tectonic plates. I like that, you know, because it's, the, it's you know, Pluto associated with Hades, Lord of the underworld, and literally the earth shifting underneath your feet, you know, all this magma, uh, you know, this molten earth creating new earth, you know, like that's kind of the beauty of it. It, it, it breaks things down, but then it, it, there are things that are built from it. So it can be a both a destructive force and a creative one. So I think that that's a that's a nice keyword there, Kate. Uh, Andrea says, "Great time for deep meditation and stillness when the moon is out of bound." I like that. I think anytime we can still the mind, still the emotions, come to a place of centered centeredness, um, we can take actions from that place that may be more well thought out, that may be less rash or less based on impulsivity which I think will be important, especially as we move forward to the third decan of Taurus and that, that full moon lunar eclipse that we're going to see on the 16th. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop out of here for a second, and I'm going to show you and kind of give you some, some background on the second decan of Taurus, which is where we're going to begin our month. So there's a story that these decans uh, are describing and in the first decan of Taurus here, we see the five of pentacles. We're moving to the, the five, six, and seven of pentacles. So at the end of April, we have this experience that we're going through right now as we're doing this live stream of a, a Mercury-ruled decan where we see two figures that are destitute outside of a church in the, in the snow. Uh, and this, this card seems to reflect um, a need to plan for future prosperity to avoid destitution. This card was called worry or the Lord of worry. So a lot of times when we have stuff going through the first degrees of Taurus, uh, we may be trying to prevent something bad from happening 
right? We may be trying to plan and forestall future troubles through, you know, plowing the fields of our life. Like Austin Kopping in his book, 36 Faces, talks about the plow. Like this is a time to break up the soil, to get it prepared for fertility, for planting, for sowing, which I think we see in the second decan of Taurus. And then as we, so we have this very fertile decan here, okay, where we are, it's associated with charity, but also with sowing and planting and, and a steady rhythm where, you know, when you, if you learn how to garden, you realize very quickly that, that mother, you have to work with mother nature. You can't force it. You can't overplant your fields or you will create less fertility than if you actually space things out correctly. You can't overwater or you'll drown something and create rot. You can't neglect it or your plant will die as well. So you have to just do the right amount for the right time. T. Susan Chang calls that the Kairos moment in association with this decan as well. Um, Kairos being the, the right opportunity at the right opportune moment. And then we're moving to the seven of pentacles here where we're seeing a figure that is uh, sort of kind of uh, thinking about the harvest and thinking about was all have I done all the work that is necessary? Uh, how is this going to turn out? Uh, maybe examining those crops for any signs of of bugs or pests or pestilence. Uh, th that decan is a difficult decan um, that's associated with forces beyond our control, like natural disasters and things of that nature. Um, but I think that one of the main themes that I'm gathering from some of my research as I prepare for my Deccans of Taurus is that Deccan is about maybe looking back and assessing how successful or unsuccessful we've been with our efforts so far. So, you know, one thing that is really standing out to me as I get deeper into my Deccanic explorations is those middle cards really are the idealized version of the sign itself. So we are trying to create this steady rhythm here in Taurus. We're trying to create fertility. We're trying to be generous with our resources rather than maybe holding on out of fear uh, and maybe being a little bit too tight-fisted because we're afraid we're not going to have enough in the beginning or where we're lamenting maybe, you know, I don't know, trying to fight off the forces of nature and maybe trying to move too quickly sometimes too because there's a, a story that I'll get to of, of uh, the litai and eight um, which, which translates to ruin and rashness and folly. So we, this, this decade is more about learning from our mistakes, I think, on some level, and also having faith in the process. This is going to be important with Venus in Aries as well, is we may want to rush things, uh, especially, especially as we get to that eclipse, right? We're going to feel pressure. Um, and we have to realize that sometimes that pressure is more a feeling than an actual pressure. Um, and, and if we can differentiate between those, those thoughts, those feelings, those anxieties, and what we actually have to do in the moment, that can really help us to move forward with grace. Uh, Andrea says, I see the five of pentacles as a moment where instead of worrying, you seek out shelter and help from benefactors to help your mind be in a space where you know you can count on someone. Yeah, I like that. I think that there's, um, there's definitely literature that talks about seeking uh, safe spaces and safe havens around that as well. Um, again, th there's multiple ways to approach each of these decans. Even if a, a card or a decan looks negative on the surface, there are ways of dealing with that energy um, gracefully 
that can set you up for success and for being able to to get the get the most out of it and the best out of it sometimes it's through waiting sometimes it's through not doing something which is a really tough lesson to learn you know when we want to always do more and more and more go 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 uh, but that's not always what the the time requires remco says rounding up uh, rounding up year by going internally just before my birthday sounds like a good time to reflect well definitely um you're in sort of the maybe the balsamic phase of your solar year right last quarter balsamic phase it's a great time to reflect and to consolidate all the wisdom from the previous year to make a new start at your solar return andrea says like having helping wheels on your first bike or a crutch to lean on yes like the, the training wheels of life taurus one uh Dimphy says you can say that plowing i do feel my arm muscles uh, of working my small allotment this week, clearing it to start sowing and planting, watering strawberry plants, love this season. Yeah, so Dimphy, you're experiencing this very literally, um, which which I think is a lot of it, a lot of the significations we see in the, the tarot, in astrology, especially in the Northern Hemisphere. A lot of it was based on what people were experiencing in a maybe a more agricultural society on some level. Um, where we we had to get in touch with these seasons we had to get in touch with a planting season you know in taurus we had to get in touch with a, a composting season a harvest season you know through the fall through through you know Vir, virgo libra and then you know scorpio although virgo would be the, the last sign of summer of course so yes being able to to do what is required of us in this time um is important i've been doing a lot of physical manual labor to to prepare this home we have a painting project that we have to get done before we can move forward to the next part of our um, endeavor here and it's there's a lot of time constraint with it and so i've been scraping and painting and all these things you know i have a lot of endurance for mental mental labor um like reading and studying but um i'm a little i think my body my 41 year old body is like oh you haven't done this type of thing in a while <laughs> so uh it is a really interesting way to go through the grief process, though, doing hard manual labor. Uh, there is something meditative about just putting your headphones on, listening to music, and just scraping at something and and just hacking away at things. There's there's something beautiful about that, too. So um, let me see. I'm looking in the chat. Henry says, the seven of pentacles looks like when you didn't take care of your garden, so there's nasty weeds among the good fruit. Absolutely, Henry. Uh, there's there's definitely weeding significations um with that and and that's true if you if you don't do the work if you don't show up during maybe that second decan of taurus you will have to to go back and and redo things and pull out some of the things that threaten your harvest so that's a really great observation um we've got some uh croatian <laughs> happening in the chat too i take my google translate to see what they what andrea and, and maria are saying <laughs> uh jody is asking is buying a home overrated i don't know if it's overrated uh you're talking to a cancer sun with a taurus moon so for me um buying a home is is a is the culmination of a long cherished dream um but it's a lot of work i think that what you will realize if you purchase a home is that there's many many steps in the process and each one of them requires quite a learning curve if you haven't done it before. All the ins and outs of the finances, all the ins and outs of learning how to take care of your space, all the new responsibilities of upkeep and things like that. So 
Um, it is, it's very tiring. There's a lot of timing issues that come in with it to be able to close on time and everything like that. So uh, I, I just appreciate all of your patience, patience and bearing with me through all of these changes here. I'm, I'm still trying to prepare as best I could, but it's, it's uh, in the midst of manual labor <laughs> and, and uh, emotional labor. So uh, yeah, it's teaching me about balance for sure. Um, Dimphy says, to be honest, I had to prepare this 60 year old body with daily yoga since January. Otherwise I would not have accomplished this. Well, Dimphy, send me a workout routine. Cause I think that I'm going to need to prepare a little bit better for the, the responsibilities that I have moving forward. Um, okay. So, so that's kind of an overview of a, the journey from Taurus one, two, and three. Now, if we dive deeper into Taurus two for a short period of time here, uh, Austin Coppock calls that Deccan a Linga Yoni in his first edition of that book. Um, I believe there might be a new name coming for that Deccan, uh, something about sewing. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't remember off the top of my head. I, I heard a talk from him that there, there was something like sewing and planting, but a Linga Yoni is this like this rock that sort of looks like this, but it's a little bit more phallic shaped. This is my, uh, lapis lazuli that I have here. And, you know, the, the, the many of the themes with this deck can talk about the, the, the fertilization of the soil. So you've broken up the soil with the plow in the first decade of Taurus. And now you have to, to, to fertilize that soil um, through this rhythmic, almost like lovemaking type of experience. Um, you know, Book T calls it material success. Toth calls it success. We're, we're dealing with a, an earth sign here, a fixed earth sign. It is the face of the moon. So, you know, the moon is related to bringing things into being, the material world, uh, bringing things to fruition, but also, you know, eliminating things at a certain point in its cycle as well. But I think in Taurus, it's definitely, uh, we've got the, the exaltation of the moon. Um, so this Deccan is really powerful for the moon. This is actually where my my moon is, is in the second Deccan of Taurus. And uh, one of the secrets of success, I think, if you can call it that, and I, I, I've had various levels of failure and success, but when I've been successful, it's, it's when I've taken my time. It's when I have shown up for the work and said, okay, I'm, I'm creating this trust between me and whatever I'm doing, uh, whether it's trust of study practice when I was learning and playing guitar and teaching, writing, writing songs and teaching music, you had to show up, you had to show up on your instrument every day, you had to practice, you had to put the work in, but you couldn't, if you overdid it, your hand would just like cramp up and it, you wouldn't be able to play the next day. So it's, it's about showing up, doing the work that you need to do, and then letting nature take over the other part of it. There's a balance associated with this. And in this card, you can actually literally see the balance here, the scale. I think it's the balance of work and play, pleasure and labor. Um, you know, work hard, play hard on some level. Um, it, you know, and, and that balance is reflected in the Sephira of this Deccan, which is called Tiferet, which is, is related to the sun. It's in, there are three pillars in the Kabbalistic tree of life, and this Tiferet is right in the middle pillar. So it's about balancing these energies and, and finding the right, um, the right rhythm. Um, we do have a fixed star at 14 degrees of Taurus called Menkar, which is the mouth of the whale, which is sort of about 
maybe being cast about by collective unconscious themes, things of that nature, or being able to tap into that energy as well. So we're also seeing reflected at this period of time is the cross holiday of Beltane, which in Celtic uh, culture was actually considered the beginning of summer. That's, that was interesting. Uh, that was coming up in my studies. But these cross holidays are, are uh, you know, we have Emok, Beltane, uh, Samhain, and then what's the last one that I'm forgetting here? Uh, somebody help me out here. I can't remember. It's the one uh, in Leo season. Some, if you if you remember what the Leo cross holiday is, put it in the, in the chat. Uh, but I think that these are these are transition points in between and kind of chapter markers, ch- check ins between solstices, right, and equinoxes. So we're in the in between phase between uh, the spring equinox and the summer solstice. So this this period of growth, this period of increase. Okay. Um, so I'm just going through my notes here. Virtue practiced over time, uh, fertilization, fecundity of the land, procreative unions, working the land and planting, building and sowing. There's a daimon associated with Taurus too, which is called the hore, or or translates to the hours, which are reflected of the seasons. So that they were the hore were able to make uh, the wheels of time spin on some level. I'm going to read to you a quote from Theoi about the hore. It says the hore were the goddesses of the seasons and the natural portions of time. They presided over the revolutions of the heavenly constellations by which the year was measured, while their three sisters, the Morai, were spinning out the web of fate. The Horai also guarded the gates of Olympus and rallied the stars and constellations of heaven. Uh, The Horai were particularly honored by farmers who planted and tended their crops in time with the rising and setting of stars, measuring of the passing seasons. All right, so we've got these these goddesses that were associated with agriculture, with proper timing, uh, and things of that nature. So that's kind of the, the energy spirit that's that's helping with this this decan. They're responsible for the, the regular motion of all things. Um, you, you know, and, and and again, in the card we reflect the the generosity of I think Venus as well, being able to share our bounty since this is a Venusian sign. Um, so I think that one of the things that you can recognize about this Taurus two season is normally we would try to have a steady rhythm, a pace that we could sustain because Uranus is there. That may not be the case. And I'm feeling this being, feeling very under the gun with some of the, like the house stuff I'm doing where I don't get to do just a little bit each day. Like I have to put in, uh, you know, a 10 hour day scraping paint while the weather is holding up. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, and Uranus is messing with our rhythms. And I think that there's wisdom in recognizing that even though we want to have steady routines, there are times where we have to put forth a, a Herculean effort. And if we want to, 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 take on a new level of responsibility or make a change, we have to overcome inertia. Inertia being that that force of that thousand pound animal, that thousand pound bull that doesn't want to move. And we want to stay uh, in our comfort zone. And I think that with Uranus here, we are being shaken out of our comfort zone so that we can create a new rhythm that is more reflective of who we are now rather than 
who we may have been in the past. So that's something to, 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 to think about and meditate on. Uh, Dimphy is saying, do I notice Demetri George's volume two next to you? If so, congrats. Yeah. Uh, this is something I was talking about with, um, Shu last time. This is Ancient Astrology and Theory and Practice, Volume 2, uh, which is, talks about the houses and how to do everything. There's a beautiful picture of Demetra George's smiling face, such a beautiful picture of her. I'm so happy to see her completing this work and being happy. She's one of my absolute favorite teachers and astrologers. Um, I really love her commitment to scholarship, but also the way that she makes things so um, digestible and practical. There's all sorts of exercises in these books. I highly recommend picking up this book. Um, it's from Robedo Press. It is on Amazon now, but if you, if you are able to order it directly from Robedo Press, I would suggest do, going that direction. Um, but either way, pick it up and uh, go through the exercises, go through the chapters, because you can really learn a lot about Hellenistic astrology that way and just how all this stuff works. I've been thinking, I've been meditating, and tell me in the chat if you be into this, but I've been thinking about doing some sort of uh, guided, maybe book club type of thing with this book in particular, where a group of us could get together and, um, you know, do do something where we read a chapter a week. Um, and maybe there'd be a small donation for guiding this, this, uh, guiding this, this group. Um, but I think it would be really nice to read it as a community. Um, almost like a mini class or something. If I, if I were to arrange my own um, astrology classes, which I, will probably happen in some time in the near future, a fundamentals class, Demetri George's books, Volume 1 and 2, Ancient Astrology and Theory and Practice, would be probably one of the first books that I would recommend as a text. So maybe this could be like a, <laughs> like a little, um, I don't know, what's it called? My brain is drawing a blank. Like a little tester, a little tester for that. Uh, on some level. So let me know if that's something that it piques your interest out there. Send me some some thumbs up if that's something that you want me to do. And I'll have to fit it in somewhere. Uh, yeah, because what I like to do as a teacher is um, going through this information with all of you as a mentor and as a tutor, a lot of the times, you know, me digesting it uh, will, if I will help you to digest it, you know, and if questions come up, we can, can uh, discuss it and find the answer as a, as a group. And yes, Henry, Rebedo is a very quality bookbinder, as, as Henry is pointing out. Um, I want to, again, acknowledge the, the amazing work of Aaron Cheek and, and all the editors there. I believe Lisa Scheim and Chris Brennan were doing some editing as well, and, and anybody I forgot, but I'm really want to send my hearty congratulations, not only to Demetra George, and, but also to Aaron Cheek and, and the quality that he puts out. Um, really, really a fantastic. Every book is a work of art. Every book is, is quality, and there's a reason why it takes some time for those to come out, because they're, n they're not willing to put something out unless it's gone through that rigorous process, and I applaud them for that. I, I really respect that. Um, all right. So I think that's the, the energy of Taurus 2. Let's, let's go through kind of the daily parts of this, okay? All right, so we're starting off the month, uh, May first, right? We're again, we're coming off of, uh, we're coming off of the eclipse here, and Jody is is dipping out at work. Take care, Jody, and again, my condolences for you and your mom, and and we'll all get the, through this together. And I hope that 
through some working with all the wonderful animals that you care for, that, that's a, a, a helpful and a solace as well. I know I've been hugging my cats extra, extra hard lately. So take care, Jody, and, and I hope you're having a good day. Um, so we're starting off on May 1st here, uh, coming off the eclipse, right? Uh, the first aspect that the moon is going to make after that eclipse is going to be a sextile to Jupiter. That's a technique that I really recommend taking a look at because you can see what type of energy we might really be experiencing with a particular lunation with the first aspect that it makes after it is goes outside of what is called the bond. And that's the 15 degree uh, conjunction with the sun or with the opposition. So I, I, wherever, so what you do is you add 15 degrees to the sun, and then if there's any planet it's making an aspect to, you know, that might be giving you an inclination as to whether this, this lunation is going to feel blessed or if it's going to feel a little bit more challenging. And I do think that the sextile with Jupiter and its own domicile with uh, Venus there is actually a really good sign. Um, so again, there's really really positive things that could come out of this eclipse despite some of the challenges that we've had leading up to it. Uh, on the first, we're also going to be having Venus making a sextile with with uh, Pluto. So we are kind of uh, also being able to harmonize some of the the, the challenges that, that are coming with um, being able to unearth anything that was repressed. So it may be helping with the cathartic process because sometimes when we're taking on new new things, new challenges, new goals, new responsibilities, new material routines, uh, we have to let go of the old ones first. And, and I think Venus making a positive contact to uh, Pluto may be assisting with that. Um, on the 2nd, when we get to May the 2nd, uh, we are going to see Venus moving into Aries. So that's really the big news of, of May 2nd is the shifting of dignity from Venus in its exaltation, you know, being co-present with Jupiter, Neptune, and Mars, and now being by herself in Mars's domicile, uh, potentially bringing a, a glamorization of independence. I think that's the thing we see in the first decan of Aries. Sorry, I'm dropping my water bottle here. Is we want to thank you so much, Jody, for your super super sticker. I really appreciate it. Um, wherever Venus is, we may be feeling more of an attraction to that energy. And when Venus is moving through Aries, we may feel more attracted to going uh, going alone, going solo. Um, we may have a little bit more difficulty coming to a compromise or a consensus, and and we may really um, exalt the the ability to say this is me and this is not this you are not me right so it may lead to some some tension in both the taurus and the libra area of your life because that is what venus is going to be trying to provide resources for um and and venus won't be able to witness taurus but it will witness libra so really keep an eye on the libra area of your life um you may have some some interesting conversations about uh, partnership versus independence, especially related to, to the Libra area of your life. Okay, so that's the second. When we get to May the 3rd, we're going to have a sextile between Jupiter and Pluto. 
So it's going to mimic the that aspect that we just had with Venus, but we're going to be bringing Jupiter significations into the four. So one thing that you will look for is we're going to be highlighting not only the Pisces area of your chart, but the Sagittarius area of your chart as well. So whenever you see a planet making an aspect like this or, or perfecting an aspect, always look to the houses that, that it's in, but also uh, the houses that it's providing for. Um, so the, the Sagittarian house of your chart uh, will be highlighted and maybe Jupiter will be assisting uh, eliminating some corruption within that area as well. Um, so that everything, that will be different for everyone depending on your rising sign. And again, Demetra George's book is really great for that. I, I wish I'd had more time to sit with it the last few weeks. Um, I've had the book uh, for about a week and a half. I think I got the book in the mail the day after my mom passed. <laughs> like, so I was like, oh, well, this is a nice silver lining, but there's just so much going on. You know, when someone like that passes in your life, you're just talking to a lot of friends and family. And um, there's just a lot of arrangements that you're trying to work through. And I just really haven't had time to sit down with it as much as I'd like to, even though I got it, you know, about a week before the public did. Uh, but now everyone's going to be able to catch up to me, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> like you all still have to read it. And again, maybe we'll be able to do that together. Um, okay, so we've got this nice Jupiter-Pluto uh, sextile here with some kind of uh, sextiles being of the nature of Venus. So maybe something, uh, some help coming in, in being able to, to um, uncover the, and, and renew something in that Capricorn area of our life as well. Um, when we move forward to the fourth, the aspect that's perfecting on the fourth is Mars making a sextile to your uh, Uranus here. So we've got the combination of, you know, the planet of action, the planet of conflict, uh, making a, a, a positive aspect to the planet of unexpected change, shakeups. Um, you know, the second decan of, of Pisces is really related potentially to overestimating your ability. It's like that Sorcerer's Apprentice energy. Um, so I guess my caution with this aspect with Mars Uranus is try not to overestimate your power or your, your abilities at this point. You can also see that the, the sun is gonna be conjoining Uranus around the same period of time. Uh, so I, the positive parts of that, that second decade of, of Pisces is it's sort of like you you have an ability to visualize and bring your your internal vision into external reality easier than than there it might be in other decans, um, but but again, try not to overshoot the mark because um, it could lead to some unexpected challenges. Uh, I'm thinking of this the story of Dolus and Prometheus. Uh, I'm thinking of the story of Phaethon who drove the chariot of the, of the sun and couldn't control the chariot. Uh, you can hear all of those stories in my Decans of Pisces webinar that is for sale on my website. <laughs> but um, yeah, let's see here. Dimphi says, sorry to hear Spencer condolences. I already thought I saw something about you. I will think of you the 30th. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, say, say, a, say a little happy birthday to, to my mom who's Funnily enough, and I'll talk about this more when we get there, her her middle name is Eve, and that's what she went by was Eve instead of her first name. 
And uh, this, the first decan of Gemini is related to um, the apple of Eden, according to um, Austin Kopic, and, you know, biting into the maybe Eve uh, and the apple and the, the beginning of undifferentiated awareness. And I thought that was an interesting synchronicity that she chose to be called that name and, and had the sun in that first decan. So uh, I'll get to that in a second, though. All right. So sun conjoining Uranus during this period of time. Again, we've, we've talked about the ability of Uranus to shake us out of our routines. And I think that one of the things that I like to think about with Uranus um, is that we have, you know, the story that comes up with Uranus is Prometheus. This is something that Richard Harness talks about in his book, Cosmos and Psyche, uh, that kind of stealing fire from the gods, but maybe potentially suffering for it. Um, and, and that's challenging, right? And Andrea is checking out. Thank you, Andrea, for being here today. Uh, good luck with your with your client. And, and uh, everybody check out Andrea at Space Tiger Tarot 9 on Instagram. A lot of really good content over there. So take care, my friend. Um, so yes, when we when we think about Prometheus, we've got this energy of stealing fire from the gods, uh, kind of rebelling against the authority of Zeus and but, but suffering for it. And, and so there may be something concerned with that where we're trying to break the mold, we're trying to move forward with a new knowledge set, um, but there may be some kind of uh, challenge that we have to go through, sacrifice that we have to make to, to, to move forward with it. Um, and, and we're going to feel that. Again, anytime the sun contacts, contacts a planet, it's infusing it with a sense of purpose, a sense of clarity, a sense of awareness, and I, I feel like that's also true with the outer planets, even though they are not quote unquote visible. I think that it is a beginning of a, a synodic cycle of some sort. So this may be the very beginning of the seeds that will shift your routines significantly, your daily habits, your uh, the way that you create growth and prosperity in your life. Uh, remember, we talked about that fixed star, 14 degrees of Taurus, Menkar. And this, this conjunction is happening right on that fixed star. So this may also portend some, some challenges in the collective. Uh, that was the mouth of the, the whale. Uh, but we're not thinking of it as a nice whale. We're thinking of it as a sea monster in the traditional sense. So being swallowed by collective forces that are maybe greater than us and beyond our control is one, one challenge of this potentially. So... I really think that this could be the beginning of some shakeups around our material resources. In America, we're going through periods of, of inflation. Uh, we're going through some, some challenges with uh, supply chain issues, and um, people are trying to figure out how to afford everything in their life. And um, that, that, that could be something that we're having to make some significant changes within, especially as we, as we are celebrating our Earth Day today. There may be also some climate changes and, and some natural, um, I don't know if it's natural disasters, but there's definitely, well, there is, but there are things that we're going to have to deal with with a changing climate as far as how we manage our resources and how we manage our energy efficiency and all of those things as well. So potentially this could be the seed of something like that also. Uh, there's been rumblings about currencies um, this may this is something where we might be changing how we deal with our currencies. And one 
one thing that's been coming up for a lot of people with Uranus and Taurus is cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and all of those things. Maybe there's something potentially uh, with the stock market or with cryptocurrencies around this period of time uh, to keep your eye on as well. Again, with Mars making that sextile from second decan of Pisces, I, what I would recommend is I wouldn't liquidate all your savings and like, you know, buy some kind of risky stock at this point um, because you may get a little bit overconfident. So that would be my warning around that is um, you, you may be wading into difficult territory if you are too aggressive. And with Venus being in Aries, that's a real possibility. Okay, if we move forward to the 6th, I'm going to keep rolling here. Uh, if we move forward to the 6th of May, we do have Venus uh, making a sextile to Mercury uh, here. So you can see Venus at 4 degrees of Aries, sextiling Mercury, uh, which has been fairly newly ingressed into, into Gemini. Uh, so very powerful Mercury, uh, a, a very somewhat unhappy Venus. So th I think that this Mercury in this decan of Gemini, and we'll, we'll talk about this as we get to, to that part of the, of the decanic show, um, but, but the main theme with that is a, a proliferation of options. And when you have Mercury in the first decan of, of Gemini, you're, you're splitting pathways. Uh, you know, there's a daimon associated with Gemini 1 called Tethys, who was the mother of the rivers and the, the wife of Okeanos, the ocean or the river that, that surrounded, that they, they, the ancient Greeks thought surrounded the earth. So you can think about the, all the little tributaries that are splitting off into different rivers and different directions and pathways. And I think that's reflective of Tethys. So there's just maybe a lot of questions that you're asking, especially about how to create independence within your life. And, you know, the, the, the card with Gemini 1 is the Eight of Swords, where we may feel a little paralyzed because we don't, um, we, we have so many options that we may like be trying to evaluate all of them before we actually take an action. Uh, so have the discussions, try to be patient Try not to overthink it, I guess, would be my, my recommendation when you have these types of uh, aspects. Um, okay, I'm looking at the chat. Henry says, interesting how William Ramsey's work, in how William Ramsey's work, he cautions against Phaethon's fatal error with respect to astrology. Can you elaborate on that? Well, uh, I, I'm familiar with William Ramsey through Charles Obert's book on the classical seven planets. But beyond that, I don't know if I have William Ramsey's work uh, uh, individually. But Phaethon's fatal error is assuming that he could control an uncontrollable force. And I think that if we think about that with astrology, it's really the lesson of hubris. So if we think that just because we have this knowledge or we have some insight into what could potentially happen, um, we have to, to come to it with humility and realize that some of these forces are bigger than ourselves. And no matter what we do, we, may, we can't control everything. And I'll tell you what, like that has been really um, prominent on my mind. There's nothing that will humble you more than death, <laughs> you know, so uh, realizing that, that there are just certain things that are out of your control. 
and that everything has a time, everything has a birth date and expiration date. And sometimes we can extend that, but other times we can't. Um, so I think that what William Ramsey is referencing is not getting too hubristic about uh, th doing this work, not thinking that you have more ability or more, um, I don't know, that you're, you, you can guide every single part of it. Uh, because Phaethon was trying to guide the ship of his father's chariot, which was the sun, which was connected to these wild stallions, these four white horses, right? And he just wasn't up to the task. So um, I think that having faith in the process, surrendering sometimes and submitting, maybe the lesson of faith on and not overestimating your ability. I hope that that uh, answers your question, Henry. Um, Dimphy says, ISY is my, is, I'm not sure what ISY is, Dimphy. Can you elaborate on that um, to check out as well? Time to walk the dog. <laughs> okay. Take care, Dimphy. It's good to see you. Um, hope that you have a good one. And uh, thank you for, for participating in our community here. I really appreciate you. Um, thank you, Prudence, for being here as well. Uh, it's nice to see you as well, my friend. Um, okay, so that's sort of the, the, the kind of the gist of our Venus-Mercury sextile, a little bit of a minor aspect compared to some of these other ones. Um, we will also see the next day on the 7th, uh, we'll have uh, the sun sextiling Mars so again, this may be a, a day to be able to take some well thought out actions, um, but without trying to overdo things. Again, that's really important when Mars is moving through the second decan of Pisces is don't, don't get too uh, high on your own supply like Phaethon, right? Um, so that's something to, to consider as we see the sextile of Mars and the sun. It's an energetic Saturday potentially uh, on May 7th. Um, yeah, Dimphy says, my, my ascendant, Gemini, two degrees, so Eve as well. Yeah, yeah, so you might resonate with that. If you if you come back later and watch the Gemini part of the show, you, you might get some in, extra insight into your ascendant, Dimphy. We'll get there. I'm, I know I'm a little long-winded, but I try to provide value and teach here as well as just give you the forecasts because I think that I'm a firm believer in Give someone a fish and they'll eat for a day, but teach them how to fish and they'll they'll eat for a lifetime. Uh, Henry says, I was personally asking more about the personage faith on. Uh, yes, this falls in line with what I thought he was getting at. Good. Okay. I hope that we we got the the clarity there. Um okay. So the last thing that we have with the sun moving through Taurus 2, second decan of Taurus on the eighth we are seeing the square between the sun and the moon. So this is the first quarter square. And you can see this right here at 18 degrees of Leo. So that is, uh, that's our first quarter square, our first quarter moon, which is a sort of a crisis point uh, between the lunation cycle. So we think of the lunation cycle, if you think about it in the Dane Rudyard way, uh, we're planting a seed, if we have a, a like a gardening metaphor, planting the seed at the new moon. Um, and we have something, a struggle to bring something into fruition. As the moon gains light in the beginning of its cycle, 
there's all sorts of challenges that we face uh, when we are trying to, to bring something to its fruition at the full moon. So this might be like the, it's the halfway point before the full moon, where we may be struggling to bring something into being. Uh, and we're trying to kind of through crisis or conflict, remember, uh, squares are of the nature of Mars, according to the Thema Mundi, and the relationship between Mars and the, and the lights, or the sun in particular. Um, so there may be some kind of challenge between the rhythm that we're trying to establish with the sun in uh, Taurus too, and feeling, um, I think, acknowledged for the work that we're doing. Uh, it's Leo too is the Six of Wands card, which shows a figure having like a, a parade here. Um, and I think that there's a, a desire to be seen uh, with that Deccan. We have also the, the, the victory of authenticity. So at, when you're creating a new rhythm at this uh, first quarter moon, I think it's very important to be true to yourself and be realistic about what your inner self is like and how it's reflected externally. To me, the definition of integrity, which this card really speaks a lot to, is, is having a, a unification of experience between the inner expression and the outer expression. Um, and we may be running into some, some challenges with the, what is required of us with these new sh shooken up routines and is it really reflective of what we truly desire internally versus what we're required to do externally? Um, I know that for, for me, like my long held dream of um, having my own home is being challenged, I guess, a little bit by the, the hard manual labor it's taking to get to the finish line. Whereas the labor that I prefer is um, reading books. <laughs> so you could see like that's, that's part of a conflict that could be taking place uh, at this um, particular square. It's just one example. Uh, and that may have a different uh, take for, for you in your life, but look to the Taurus and Leo areas of your life where there may be something that's a little bit uh, at, at odds with one another. Um, we've got some nice comments coming in. Prudence appreciates the depths of our talks. Thank you, Prudence. I appreciate you being here. And um, Remco is also appreciating the time we take Lynn says, Virgo loves the details. Yes, I have uh, many Virgo placements, so I have to feel like I've given it a thorough, um, a thorough <laughs> treatment. Uh, Maria is, is Google translating. It's <laughs> just a little regional kind of exchange. Okay. So Maria and Andrea are keeping their secrets. <laughs> That's all right. That's fine. Uh, we, I, I love that there are... are connections being made, um, not only internationally, but maybe even in your own local communities where you're finding unity for, with, with like minds. That's, that, that warms my Venus and Gemini 11th house heart. Uh, okay, so that's our first quarter moon, and that's really how we're going to end the first, uh, the first section of our talk today, the, the second decan of Taurus. So let's move forward to the third decan of Taurus and the, the second part of the show, and I will... Um, we're going to be looking at the time period, you see here, between May the 10th and May the 20th. And I'm going to stop my share and just talk about Taurus 3 for a second. So Taurus 3, as we saw earlier, is the seven of, of pentacles. 
or we have a figure that's leaning on his uh, his his farming implement, his his shovel or his hoe or his rake or whatever he's got there, and he's contemplating the results of his actions. And uh, you know, T. Susan Chang was talking about her father, who was shoveling the driveway with snow and and would would take on this posture, trying to figure out how much work was left, how if he was going to complete the work in the daylight hours. And this may be a period of reflection where we see uh, and we evaluate whether the work that we've done during the earlier parts of Taurus that we've planned for in the beginning and that we've actually uh, started to, to fructify or bring to fruition in the second decan, whether it was effective or not. Uh, thank you, Maria. Thank you. I appreciate your super chat. I really appreciate that. I love the little uh, <laughs> kung fu fox that we have here. So those little things are adorable. Uh, so, so again, 20 to 30 degrees of Taurus or 20 degrees to, you know, the end of Taurus. Austin Kappa calls that deccan a string of prayer beads. Um, and I'll explain that in a second. It's a, it's a face that's ruled by, by Saturn. Um, Book T calls it the Lord of Failure and Book of Toth calls it success unfulfilled. So they have some themes of like, hey, there, there might be some things you have to deal with that are out of your control. There, there may be some challenges in this deccan. Um, the daimon, or spirit, is the litai. And I'm going to read to you the litai from uh, theoi.com, their summary. It says, The litai were the personified spirits or daimons of prayer, ministers of the god Zeus. They were described as hobbling old women. Their opposite number was eight, the spirit of delusion and folly in whose wake they followed. Uh, Homer describes them as Cori, or maid maidens of Zeus, rather than the daughters, so it is not clear if they were his literal daughters. So the Litai were these, like, these old women that were offering up repentant prayers after the rashness of eight. So let's say you've done something with your garden or the project that you're type trying to build, whatever it is, and since maybe Venus is in Aries, you rushed through some parts of it. And you did some things, uh, some shortcuts to just to get something done. This is the time period where the the consequences of that action start to become uh, recognized. And you may have to go back and do it again. You may have to say the repentant part of planting your garden is, let's say you didn't uh, you didn't pay attention to it for a week after planting. There may be some weeds that start growing like we were talking about earlier and you have to go in and redo that you have to tend to the garden it's maintenance so whenever we start a project we don't just start it take care of it and then forget about it sometimes we start it we take care of it as much as it needs to be taken care of and then we have to maintain it over time to to really uh bring the harvest to fruition now there's also some significations of uh forces beyond our control in this third decan of Taurus. Some of that is, I think, associated with two fixed stars that are really prominent. Uh, at 24 degrees of Taurus, there's a fixed star called Capulus, which is the sword of Perseus. And then a related fixed star is Algol at 26 degrees of, of Taurus, which is the severed, or the blinking eye of the severed head of Medusa. And, you know, if you're not familiar with that, that story, uh, you know, really quick summary is, is that um, Medusa was, was in some parts of the story or some versions was raped in, I believe, uh, a temple of Athena. 
or Poseidon, by Poseidon, and this offended one of those goddesses. Like it's it's kind of a messed up story, like because she was actually kind of the the victim of a heinous crime, but she was punished for it on some level. Um, there's also a feminized version of it where they were saying Athena maybe gave her the ability to protect herself because of that that rape um, by being able to turn people to stone with her eyes and had with with her snakes for hair as well. Uh, so. It, Algol is not only just a very difficult placement, but it can be very protective if we utilize those energies correctly. Now, I would really caution you if you're into ritual practice that it's not something to take lightly. It's a very, very difficult energy to work with. Um, can be very dangerous if you don't uh, work with it properly. So buyer beware, um, practitioner be warned. But this is a, an, a, a Deccan where there are probably natural forces that we have to contend with. Uh, sometimes it's going to rain when you need to paint the deck. <laughs> so that's what I've been experiencing. I have a deadline for painting certain parts of my house before uh, everything goes through. And it's the rainy season around here. So trying to get a day of sunshine to be able to do it is... This feels very Taurus 3, even though we're not quite there yet. Um, so there may be some forces out of your control that you have to contend with and that you have to accept. And this is where the string of prayer beads comes in. Uh, with Saturn, you know, we have everything that could threaten the crops, the awareness of, of rot, right, of mold or pestilence or uh, anything that's eating away that, that isn't, isn't supposed to be there, um, decay. So the string of prayer beads relates to the litai offering up prayers and faith and repentance. Oftentimes we start a project and we do what's necessary and then we have to wait for the outcome. So there's patience associated with this Deccan as well. Um, oftentimes, even if you've done everything correctly, there are certain forces that are out of your control. Ask any uh, farmer that sometimes even though they've gone and done everything possible, that there's insects that can threaten the crops. There's droughts where the rain just wasn't enough and the crop isn't as bountiful. There's too much rain. I remember a few years ago when we were planting tomatoes, there was way too much rain and they got all this root, root rot and this blight rot on the bottom of it. And there's really not much we could have done about it. Just the ground was too saturated. So it's coming to terms and coming to acceptance of that um, and being able to, to uh, be able to have faith in the process and the things that are, and atone, sometimes atonement, I think was a word that came up for me with this was, if we have uh, overly rushed through something, atoning for it uh, is a great way to, to set it back into balance. Um, and I think the key, mainly the key with this is, learning from your mistakes. Uh, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has challenges where they didn't quite live up to, you know, whatever was required in that moment because life happens and life <laughs> life is bigger than us sometimes. And I think the key here is, is can you learn from those mistakes? Doing Taurus 3 gracefully is really being honest, really being sober about the effort that you've put in. That's the Saturn part of it and saying, did I really work hard enough or did I, did I cut corners in, in this project? And then, you know, being able to 
own up to it saturn style and restore balance that's one thing that saturn does is it restores balance it increases that which is lacking and it reduces that which is excessive it's the planet of nemesis and that's that's what nemesis that's what her role was in greek mythology okay so that's kind of our experience with with taurus 3 with let's look at some of the daily parts of that okay so we're looking at may 10th and we're st- the, the interesting thing about this is we're starting out with Mercury stationing retrograde on the 10th. So it's stationing retrograde, it's slowing way down and turning backwards to retrace some of its steps, which is really funny because it, it just, it, it seems like that also reflects a need to, to really re-examine some, some actions that we took recently. So not only are we in a decan where you know it's important to reevaluate if your work was effective or not, but Mercury is going to be uh, moving backwards as well. So again, Mercury is giving us some testimony that we may have missed the first time. Okay. Um, Remco says, for me, this decan is about making sure preparations are in place. Yeah, I think you can think about it like that. Although I would, I think that the first decan of Taurus is is more about planning. I think that this decan is the preparation against failure. It's like prep, preparing, uh, guarding yourself against the worst case scenario. It's the third decan of, of Taurus saying, well, this, this has already happened. How do we pick up the pieces on some level? You know, it's, it's saying, can you slow yourself down enough to prevent the worst case outcome? But, but yes, I think that there is definitely a little bit of that in there as well, um, Remco. Uh, Henry says, I, f- I feel like he can't, <laughs> like, so this is the, the, the seven of pentacles. I feel like he can't hoe for all the weeds. It's like having rocks in your lawn and it being unwise to mow. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, those rocks may have been there literally for thousands of years. And sometimes you have to have the patience and to, to get rid of that stuff before you can move forward again, um, before you can liberate into to motion. And remember, this is the decan that, that precedes Gemini. So precedes the swiftness of Mercury. So maybe there's there's some heavy boulders in your life that you have to remove before you have freedom of movement again. So I like that. I like that, Henry. Uh, EK says, weeds are so much about perception. That Yes, that's a great um, meditation as well. Um, EK says, that was f- yesterday for me, preparation and perfection of things out of my control. I have to watch for this lunation. Yeah, so sometimes it, it, that's a great meditation, uh, Beth, because I think that... Um, sometimes what seems like a challenge, what seems like uh, something that's threatening our fertility actually can have some benefits of its own if we look at it from a new perspective. So uh, think about those things in your life that things that seem to slow you down may actually be protecting you on some level as well. Or things that seem to be malefic, like algal, right? Like the head of Medusa can actually be one of the more powerful protections that you can have if you utilize it wisely. So a a great observation. Uh, Remco says, doing the best you can to have the condition in place that uh, corn can grow, corbs, corn, corn can grow beyond the things that are out of your control. Yes, Um, coming to terms with those things. And Henry says, Saturn, you were supposed to bring balance to the force. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. You were supposed to be the chosen one. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. 
um, yeah, that, that seems to reflect uh, Anakin Skywalker's journey on some level. I always thought of him as a, a Capricorn um, archetype. I know a lot of people they always oh, kind of Scorpionic, but you know, the, the fact that James Earl Jones, you know, one of the a Capricorn was his voice and his gravitas uh, really seems to reflect some of that as well. Like, you know, like holding on too tightly to material reality and, and then becoming this like, you know, authoritative, strong, strong arm who wants to control everything, you know, but, but maybe also creating decay within it. There's a lot of different ways we can think about that. I'm really curious to see how they treat uh, that in that new upcoming Obi-Wan show on Disney Plus, where Darth Vader will be making a return. I'm excited for that. Um, okay, so we have Mercury stationing retrograde and simultaneously coming within 15 degrees of the sun, going under the sun's beams. So I, I alluded to this earlier, but we, we can see Mercury being in its psychopomp phase when it goes under the beams. It's invisible. It's going into the underworld guiding the souls of the deceased to the underworld, into the land of Hades. Uh, so we, we may have to go back into our the depths of our unconscious, maybe the depths of our past, maybe into the depths of our inner worlds to uncover some realizations. And we may have some really, really powerful insights when the Kazemi happens um, at zero degrees of Gemini later in the month on the 21st. Um, Mercury will be stationing retrograde all the way until the, si the 3rd of uh, June, where it will turn direct at the exact degree of the sun at the eclipse on the 16th. So it'll turn direct at 26 degrees of Taurus, which is Algol. So <laughs> like there's, there's a lot of Algol stuff going on um, this month. So again, I would say that Look at, look at the conversations that you're having with people. Make sure that you're trying to protect against the worst case scenarios if you can, um, but also make sure that you're keeping your um, groundedness, that you aren't allowing anger or rage to create havoc in your life. That's one of the downsides of Algol is if, you, if it is an unrestrained force, it can create a lot of destruction. Remember we talked about it being piled up corpses. It's important for you not to pile up corpses in your own life through maybe through not being able to uh, direct that energy. Um, I think this is great work for deep, deep trauma work where, uh, you know, being able to release some of those pent up emotions, but hopefully within a safe space that will allow you to, to utilize it um, effectively and with clarity rather than having it control you. I think that's the, that's the key with trauma work is when we bring clarity to it and we start to, to make, I don't know, make friends with it or accept it rather than having it operating beneath the surface and creating all sorts of challenges because of our um, ananke or our unawareness of it, our ignorance, right? Okay. Um, Okay, yes, crops, yes. Uh, so the other thing that's happening on the 10th, the 10th is gonna be a big day, that's a turning point. That's a, they also call when Mercury is stationing retrograde or direct a moment of phosphorus, an omen that's speaking very loudly. 
So there's going to be messages that we're receiving that are important around this. And, and they might actually be messages regarding things that we need to redo and uh, maybe potentially some mistakes that we made, which is, which is okay. Forgive yourself for it and just deal with it as it comes. Um, The other thing is happening is Jupiter is going to be leaving its domicile of Pisces and moving into the house of Mars, Aries. So a real big shift in the sky. Uh, You know, we've had this, this really quick, quick period of, of Jupiter and Pisces just screaming through Pisces for the last few months. Usually Jupiter stays in a sign for about a year, but we only got a few months of it. Uh, with Jupiter and Pisces because it's in the part of its synodic cycle where it's moving very quickly. Um, But it's joining uh, again, it's coming together with with Venus again, uh, or at least co-present in the same sign. Um, I look at Jupiter as as the type of actions that we take that will bring honor and merit. Um, And in Aries, this may expand or accentuate the necessity of, of going it alone. Of, of differentiating ourselves and creating sovereignty. Um, we may be honored for our ability to, to be independent and to, to take action uh, towards our own uh, abilities, right? When utilizing our own abilities. Um, it probably will lessen the, the kind of empathy that we see with Jupiter and Venus and Pisces, the emotional empathy, and it's more about action. So things are probably going to start happening around this period of time if they haven't already. Um, again, though, there's, there's astrology is never uh, cut and dry. While we may feel a little bit anxious to get rolling with these two planets, Mercury is saying, hey, better reconsider some things. And the sun is also saying, slow down, uh, work with nature rather than trying to swim upstream or work against it. Okay, so that's the, the 10th. Um, on the 13th, the sun is going to be conjoining the north node. So here we have uh, the conjunction of the sun and the north node, which is increasing some of the significations of the sun. So um, again, if we, if we try to combine Taurus three significations and awareness of what may have gone wrong, uh, you know, the North Node may be increasing those things. Um, it may be, you know, increasing our desire to be an authority figure in our life as well. So we may see an, an increase in our authority, but also have a necessity uh, to take care of some of the, the the larger factors that we couldn't control in the past as well. So this may be some a damage control type of aspect as well. Um, and we can see that the sun is moving closer and closer to a trine with Pluto in Capricorn as well. Um, so we, we, maybe we're, we're able to take on some of the responsibilities of eliminating co- corruption in our, in our material systems. Uh, this is also the beginning of an application to a square with Saturn. So if we take all this in a big picture thing, you can see that over the next few days from May 12th to about May 15th, the sun and Saturn are going to be applying to a square or the sun is applying to a square to Saturn. Um, 
I think that this is how I, I've been meditating on this aspect. First of all, when it perfects, the sun will be on that fixed star Capulus, the sword of Perseus, which is very young. It's very rash. It's, it's the sword of Perseus. So we may be feeling very restless, but Saturn is in the overcoming position. It is earlier in zodiacal order, and it, it is exerting its influence on the sun. It's saying, hey, sun, you've got to play by my rules here. And the Saturn always slows everything down. So there may be some frustrations uh, in leaving the past behind. I think that Saturn in the last decade of Aquarius is saying, you know, you're frustrated. It is your duty to untie those, those things that are keeping you um, from moving on in your life. And they may be idealistic glass ceiling types of things like mental limitations where the narrative that we are accepting is not allowing us to move forward with our life. So what I want you to do at this Sun-Saturn square is I want you to be realistic about your material efforts over the previous month. And I also want you to, number one, be gentle with yourself and try not to beat yourself up mentally about it but also recognize that some of the limits that are coming through may be more idealistic than, than real, okay? Um, I think another manifestation of this is that there may be social issues that are slowing the pace of things down as well. When Saturn's in Aquarius, this is, there, there are forces that are bigger than us that are collective idealistic forces that are creating challenges as well. So this may be something in the in the news or in the collective that is making it very difficult, that, that is combining with a Deccan that is about natural disasters, that's about forces that are out of our control. Um, I would say this this is a time where you slow down, you say your prayers, you accept the things that you can do, and that you or, or that you can't do, that you can't control, and then you you do the things that are within uh, a certain set of boundaries. Okay, um, there probably will be some limitations that arise with this Sun Saturn square, and that might feel oppressive, it might feel depressing, but it's going to pass. And once it passes, the the Sun will move into a trine with Saturn in Gemini season. So. It, this may be a difficult time, but it will be temporary. And I think that that's something always to keep in mind with the more difficult transits. So that's the, the, the time frame between the, the 12th and the 15th. Uh, Susanna is stopping in from Finland. Hello, Susanna. We've just been talking Taurus decans and eclipses and uh, all sorts of changes. I know that, you know, you've been going through... Um, some challenges with the loss of a beloved pet as well. And I, I send my condolences to you. And I think that uh, that's one of the hardest things we can deal with as well. Like I, uh, I lost my, one of my cats a few years ago and it was, it was, man, it was gut wrenching. Cause if you're a cancer, like Susanna and I are, those are our little fur babies and our little fur children. And sometimes you spend more time with them than you do the other members of your family. Uh, and their love is so unconditional and they're so pure. Um, it can be challenging. So my heart is with you, Susanna, as you heal from that as well. And I really love the beautiful little box that you had for your, your little fur baby. So 
sending you love as well. All right. Um, the other thing that is potentially ha helping uh, over this course of time, maybe helping, I, I say that with trepidation, um, because I'm always leery of this planet. I think that this planet does <laughs> is a malefic planet, mm. despite all the airy fairy stuff regarding it. Uh, there's going to be a sextile between the sun and Neptune. Um, my experience of Neptune, well, I had a face full of Neptune the last few weeks with the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction happening when my mom passed. Um, it has a dual action. It, it, is, a, it is a dissolving action. It, 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 it sometimes will uh, re remove things um, through just having them kind of what was solid is no longer. And uh, it's removing the boundaries between people, between things. Um, a lot of the research I've been doing with mundane transits talks a lot about it being a very uh, socialistic planet where the boundaries between people and their resources is, is dissolving as well, where it's more of a collective action. Schmidt would call Neptune a collective moon, like universal substance, where it's, everything's just returning back to the the melting pot, I guess, to be redistributed on some level. Um, my personal experience of Neptune is I just feel really like melty. I feel tired. Uh, this may be a time where we're feeling a little worn out. Um, yes, you may have an awareness of this transcendent reality. I think that the flip side of that, of those boundaries being, uh, the, the veil being thin between each other and the life and death and all of that, um, it can lead to some really beautiful connections and beautiful experiences. Uh, but, but it's a, it's definitely a mixture of energy. It's not just this like idealism planet. Um, it, it definitely requires some bloodletting on some level. So there will be a sextile between the sun and, and uh, Neptune on the 14th, 14th or 15th is when it will perfect. Okay. And this is all leading up. This, all of this magic is leading up to the, our second eclipse uh, of the season. So we have here the full moon lunar eclipse in Scorpio. So let's talk about that. And I'm going to have guests on for this in time. But we have an opposition between the sun and the moon at a full moon lunar eclipse. We have the moon in this case conjoining the south node, K2, where we may be processing something, uh, releasing something important. I will warn you, uh, in addition to the sun and the moon being in places that are a little bit fraught with peril, we also have the Saturn square, okay? And this is a giant t-square in the sky right this is a giant like we're being going to be pulled in a lot of different directions around the middle of may um the remember we've talked about this the third decan of taurus we have the sun very close to algal at this point so we're, we may be dealing with some things out of our control that are bigger than us saturn is in a place where there may be some limiting uh social constructs or li limiting social beliefs or, or or even our own intellectual beliefs could be creating some challenges 
And then the moon, the poor moon in this uh, lunation is going to be in her fall in the third decan of Scorpio. In the third decan of Scorpio, we've got the seven of cups card. And here we see a figure that is, is trying to work their way through a number of different offerings or illusions, potentially. Uh, some people associate this with the seven deadly sins. I like to think about this as the, the Scorpio is, it's, it's Mars, right? And in Aries, Mars is trying to sever and separate from the collective to infuse into an individual point of consciousness and to come to power. And in Scorpio, we're severing and separating to return that body to the earth and return consciousness to the collective. We're also seeing a place where Mars, <laughs> like, does not necessarily want to give up the ghost. Um, you know, there's conflict that, that comes when we're trying to individuate, when we have to separate from like the parent plant or whatever, the collective. But there's also a defending mechanism with Scorpio where we're saying, we, we realize that the life force is dying, but we're going to do anything in our power to, to hang on to that form that may be losing vitality. And in the third decan of Scorpio, we really see some of the, the debauchery, that's the name of the card, debauchery, the Lord of debauchery, that can happen when we're trying to hang on to old forms. Um, think about this like a vampire or, or like a, I don't know, like Frankenstein, where we're trying to reanimate something that has passed on. And when we hang on too tightly to old forms, man, we can, we can do all sorts of evil. So I think that the key with this, the, the way to do Scorpio 3 gracefully is saying, hey, you know what? This has outlived its efficacy. This form has outlived its time. It's, it's time to let go of it. And by doing that, you are liberating that energy to find a new goal, a new form. The transition from Scorpio to Sagittarius is, you know, the liberation. Look at the next card after the Seven of Cups. It's the Eight of Wands. It's speed. It's like saying, oh my God, all the spirit is liberated. Where are we going next? We're enthusiastic and excited about where we could be heading, right? And if you hang on to the old form, you're just trapping it. And you're, you're, you're trapping it in something that can't possibly provide uh, life anymore. So I think that this, this eclipse is, is about letting go of the old form to, be, to truly commit to the new start that we made at the Taurus new moon eclipse. Because that new moon eclipse is going to be really, really powerful for growth. Um, but, but if we are hanging on to the past through our own mental limitations, through our own hanging on to old routines, old physical forms, it's really going to slow down the process. And it, it may, the, the, the harvest may be corrupted if we, if we are trying to simultaneously make a new start and hang on to the old at the same time. So I think that this is really what we're looking at with this eclipse. Again, with K2, energy is going out. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. Because if you hang on, you may create that, those piled up corpses that Algol is talking about. You may create collateral damage that doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Um, 
you may have some really intense exchanges about, you know, the letting go process around this time. And it, it may not be fun, but it will be liberating if you uh, deal with it. Susanna says, your cats were named by the Lord of the Rings like mine too. So, you know, I know you're a soulmate. Yeah, Susanna and I have the sun at the same, the exact same degree, uh, 15 degrees of cancer. And uh, my, my cats are Gandalf and Radagast. And um, you have to remind me what, what the names of your cats are, Susanna. Which characters they're reflecting? Is it like Frodo and Bilbo or something? But, but yes, uh, great minds think alike wizard cats, magical, magical creatures. Um, okay, so that's the eclipse that we're seeing on the 16th. Uh, it's also, you know, there is some help that we'll receive at this eclipse. Um, you know, we do have that opposition and we have that square from Saturn, but there is a trine. Uh, this, the moon will be trined, Mars and Neptune. So, you know, you know, potentially, uh, we may have to make sacrifices. The third decan of Pisces is about what are you willing to give up to, to bring the dream into fruition? And you may have to dissolve some something, okay, with, with Neptune there as well to, to get the most out of this. And just let it go, you know, just let it let it dissolve. There, there the cycles will continue. Life does go on. And with every birth, there with every death, there is the a, a a birth or the seed of a birth and with every birth that you're planting the seed of a death so it, it's it's continual it's eternal it's a it's a dance so um you know put on your shoes and and dance with it rather than sitting on the sideline okay so that's our eclipse on the 16th um on the 18th let's see here on the 18th of may uh, that's when we have the Mars-Neptune perfection. The moon will also be out of bounds on the 18th to the 20th. Remember, we talked about that in the beginning. So, again, whenever Neptune touches a planet, it's going to kind of dissolve the energies of that planet. And Mars generally represents drive, action, severance. Uh, forgive yourself if you're feeling a little bit of fatigue around this period of time. We probably have gone through a really emotional full moon eclipse. We may not really feel like doing anything. Uh, that, that's sort of the, the main vibe I'm getting with this. Um, and it, it's okay to rest. I think that this is a period of saying, you know what, if I wanna just chill out and rest and reflect, that's okay to allow yourself to do that. And you don't have to force things around this period of time. Mars and Pisces really does say, hey, find meaning in what you're doing first you don't have to force the action uh, sometimes an indirect path is is the best way to go around this period of time because we will be preparing after this mars neptune conjunction for mars to move into aries okay so which is very action orientated there will be a time for movement for individuation but allow yourself the reflective time to to know your why before everything starts moving once again. Okay, on the 19th, then we're also seeing in that period of time, you know, through the, the 18th through, I mean, from the end of the eclipse really to the, the 19th, the sun's gonna be applying to that trine with Pluto. Another 
significant uh, symbol for letting go, for eliminating corruption, for embracing change and achemical change. I like how Schmidt calls Pluto an, a transcendental Mercury. So having the right achemical mixture, uh, stirring the drink, creating a new mix, a mix of elements, I think is, is definitely what Pluto does on a, on a grand scale. So we may have an awareness of, of what we need to do to move forward in that regard. Oh, Susanna says, my cats were Strider and Precious. <laughs> oh, those are great names. Aragorn, Aragorn uh, Strider. And the precious, <laughs> precious. I saw a meme the other day that my friend, uh, another fellow Lord of the Rings fan, sent me with Gollum with a with an inner tube going up to like on a water slide. I don't remember what the the it said in it, um, but I told him it's like wow, he really he really thinks that that inner tube is something quite precious. <laughs> so, so, it was funny. Um, yeah, he was holding the ring. I'll have to look it up and, and find it for all of you and send it to you. So, you know, the 19th, a confrontation with the power structures in our life, taking on the mantle of new responsibility. I think that might be something where we are let go, letting go of an old narrative of maybe an old victimhood as well. Uh, a lot of the times we don't take responsibility just because we're, we've been told that we can't do it or that we aren't capable of it. And as we let go of those narratives with Saturn moving through Aquarius, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to take on the new mantle of responsibility. And, and a, a Sun-Pluto trine may require us to take up that responsibility and um, do it with grace. The other thing that's happening on this day is the retrograding Mercury uh, will be sextiling Jupiter. So maybe there is some fruitful conversations that Mercury is having with Jupiter uh, and reviewing the way that we are uh, exerting power and the way that we are individuating. We're seeing all the options we have for crafting our own path and our trailblazing pioneering path. So again, you don't necessarily have to do it all at once. We're just coming off the eclipse. We're seeing lots of things were revealed. Now we're finding our why with Mars moving through the final degrees of Pisces. We're getting ready to take action when Mars moves into Aries. Okay, so that is what we have for the third decan of Taurus. Um, one other, uh, some other notes I just wanted to give you before we move on from that is, you know, T. Susan Chang has a lot of great little tidbits in her books. Um, she was talking about this card here, the Seven of Pentacles, uh, as being reflected of the potato famines of the 1840s and the blight that, that came, which is very Saturnian, um, things caving in on themselves, right, rot, uh, that made reflect some of the challenges of that card, uh, forces out of our control. Um, she talks a lot about weeding the garden, doing the, the chores and scrutinizing things for flaws and redoing and remedying things that were rationally, rashly done. Uh, and had just having endurance, I think that's another thing. Just to get through that period of time, you may have to endure some challenges. And just through your patience, through your uh, 
faith and patience, you'll get through that period of time. Harrison is excited to be letting go. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes letting go of the things that have been burdens for a long time is really, really powerful and, and um, it can bring us new vitality. All right, so here is the last part. Let's see if we can, you guys doing all right out there, everyone? You, folks doing fine? Like we, we're hitting uh, the two hour mark here. <laughs> so um, let's see. Yeah, we, we'll probably go another maybe 20 minutes here just because that's how I roll. Uh, welcome to Gemini season here, the, the May 20th through May 31st. Um, we're going to see the sun in the first decan of Gemini leaving Taurus uh, into the, the home of Hermes. Um, and we start off the month with Mercury in, retro, in retrograde motion, uh, coming into alignment with its inferior conjunction with the sun. So this decan, we see the seven of swords, I'm sorry, the eight of swords, with a figure that's blindfolded and bound, surrounded by swords. The bounds are loosely tied potentially, so it may be some mental limitations that we're dealing with, similar to the Seven of Swords card. Uh, but the, the key is that these swords, uh, they may be able to cut these bonds if we just kind of shift, shift perspective a little bit. Um, the way that I look at Gemini is different than many people. I really find a lot of truth in the Thema Mundi, uh, the, the metaphorical natal chart of the world. And Gemini is on the 12th house cusp. And it makes an enormous amount of sense to me, uh, thinking about the 12th house as being the, the time before birth. Uh, they talk about that as being labor pains, and the time when a soul is in, you know, before it infuses into the body at the ascendant, right? And if you think about that, and being a 12th house sun in Mercury, this really resonates with me. Uh, there is a lot of review that goes on, a lot of self-doubt um, about weighing all of the different possibilities uh, before taking an action. Um, this is one of my real challenges in life as I, I tend to overthink things and every single possibility before taking an action. It was really bad when I was a kid. Like, like for example, um, my dad would take me to a store to pick out either some shoes or some pants. And I refused to commit to any of them. My poor Pisces dad enabled <laughs> this behavior. Uh, but I would, I'd have to go to like eight different stores because I needed to know what every single option was before I could settle on something. And this type of thing has, has followed me into my adulthood when I'm trying to, you know, make a, mar a major purchase or anything like that. I have to explore every single option. It's getting a little better with time because I just don't have time to do all that research. Um, but this is kind of the, the, it's reflective of the myth of Ur, which is a Greek story that I believe comes from uh, Platonic philosophy, where the soul is offered different lots in life before incarnating into a body. And they have to choose uh, from the lots that they are offered. And with knowledge of all the, the pros and cons, all the ups and downs, the tragedies and triumphs of that life that they're picking. And imagine the indecision that you would have 
knowing all the suffering <laughs> that you might have to endure. Uh, and I think that this really reflects the paralysis that many authors talk about with Gemini 1. And I think it comes from the pre-birth moment and needing to, to touch every pathway and to see all of the, the, the ramifications of everything. Um, it's not that Gemini is fickle, it's that Gemini is really needing to explore like Hermes uh, and say, and, and, and like Tethys, the, the daimon associated with this uh, Deccan, who was the, the, the mother of rivers. So think about like this great river that's surrounding the earth. And then all the little tributaries that are going off in little di directions that are fertilizing the land, all the explorations that water can take. And I think that you'll start to hear or feel um, some of the truths in this second. Now, here's another really interesting thing. So Austin Cobbett calls this the apple of Eden. And I was talking about earlier that this is my mom's uh, solar decan. Um, and her middle name was Evelyn or Eve. And she, uh, she didn't like her birth name, Pam, Pamela. And um, she chose to be called Eve. And I thought that was it's really reflective you know, seeing the synchronicity of, of choosing a name that is so, so reflective of her solar decan and the, the biting into that apple uh, and Im immediately being thrust into a world of duality and of, uh, you know, being able to see all of these uh, polarities, okay? And, and this is where we may be thrust into a world of duality, polarity, where uh, we've, we have this unified thing and then this explosion of options happens and we are, we're exploring, we become explorers. Now, I'll, I'll, if you'll indulge me, I'll share some memories of my mom that may reflect Gemini 1. Uh, my mom was a very enthusiastic person. Um, she loved to learn. She was a preschool teacher and she was very much in motion, um, great gardener, um, but she was a reader. And she would get not one book, but 10 books from the library and read all of them very quickly in the course of a week and then go get 10 more and myriad of subjects. This, I think um, this love of reading and this behavior of getting 10 books at a time, you can see reflected in the stacks that I have near me and the, the, the garbage bags of books that my daughter brings home from the library uh, regularly. Uh, I think she fostered that love of reading in both of us. Um, and just just all the little factoids and, and things like that. Um, uh, it's really just a, a, a she reflected this decking quite quite well. Um, but there was also a restlessness, I think, in her spirit and her heart. Like uh, there was a lot of changes that she made when she was a young a young woman, feeling this restlessness and wanting to explore a lot of different pathways that were somewhat of a challenge between the two of us. Eventually, that need for change manifested in like remodeling a home over and over and over again. Like she was able to settle and then utilize that energy to make those changes and for variety and for bringing like kitchen to her life while also staying grounded. And I think that there's a great lesson in that because we eventually we do have to kind of find where our roots are and where our foundations are. And there are ways to, to bring in that variety, that, that exploration, 
that nuance, um, those different tributaries, while not necessarily needing to blow up every part of your life. And, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, And this face, first decan of Gemini, is ruled by Jupiter. And one of the really fascinating connections that I I was making as I was reading about in the various sources that, so we have Jupiter in Gemini, like, so think about this, Jupiter in Gemini is in its exile. Whereas the first, its opposite decan, the eight of, of wands, is Mercury in Jupiter's sign in its exile. So we're having an explosion of doubt, of options, of directions. I think that Mercury is a planet that asks questions. It's it cast out, it's skepticism. It's saying, I have a million questions, you know, it, rather than I have, rather than the certainty and the, the uni- unity of order that, that Jupiter would generally thrive under. Jupiter is a planet that connects things and creates order and peace, whereas Mercury throws them into doubt. So that's really another thing to meditate on with that is, you know, an explosion of options with Jupiter uh, ruling this face. Um, Book T uh, calls it the Lord of Interference. I believe there's also uh, something regarding shortened force. So this is a, you know, we have to kind of do the explorations, reconcile those different pathways in the second decade of Gemini, and then eventually make a choice. This is what people don't really get about Gemini is that the, the completion of that energy is sacrificing one of the twins so that, that the other thing that is most important to you can live and can be infused into a body like cancer and can be gestated and can be brought to fruition. So for all of the Gemini energy out there, explore, reconcile the dualities, and then eventually make a choice. Because it's, it's, uh, it's hard to keep all the plates spinning and do everything well. You know, I think it's uh, sometimes you do have to make a commitment. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes there's freedom in the limitations that we impose or, or working within limits and the structures. Um, so we, again, We'll feel a splitting of our attention around this period of time, an exploration of possibilities, of questions. Um, what, one thing I like about T. Susan Chang is she gives us a little bit of a remedy for this card, the Eight of Swords. And she says the remedy comes in the other eights, where the Eight of Wands means that if you wait a little bit, change will happen. Change will come to you, right? That, that card is Eight Wands flying in a direction like moving really quickly through the air. She also says that you could look at the Eight of Pentacles where it shows a craftsman getting to work. It says, get busy. You, you feel confused, just do some work, you know? Uh, and then in the Eight of Cups, if you're, you know, walking away, sometimes there's, if there's too many possibilities, you walk away from one and choose the one that is important to you. And then finally, the gift of this card potentially could be like the Four of Swords, quieting the mind, collecting your thoughts so that you're not overwhelmed by all the different possibilities that you have. And you can quiet that, I guess you could call it the monkey mind a little bit through things like meditation, through uh, getting it out of your brain, through journaling, through writing, all of those things. So I think that that's the, the, uh, the way to deal with that. Um, Dimphy is back. Hello, Dimphy. Uh, trippy hippie. Uh, is giving us the the evil eye there or the protection eye 
two, two, two brought me here. All right. Well, the angels are, are speaking uh, to you today, Trippy Hippie. We're, welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us today on Earth Day 2022. Okay. So that, that I think, any questions with that? Because I think that that's sort of a uh, an exploration of Gemini 1. Um, I the, the cards for Gemini are difficult. And I think that Gemini gets a is very misunderstood, especially in modern astrology. Everyone thinks that they're fickle or children or something like that. These are all the, the cliches. And if you bring in that 12th house, Thema Mundi, and you bring in the pressure of choosing your lots in life, I think it, it brings a lot of clarity to, to maybe what a Gemini type of energy person is going through and the, the anxiety that that could produce um, and the need to, to work through some of that. Um, okay, so let's go through some of these transits. Here's our chart again. We're looking at uh, May the 20th, where the sun is going to be moving into Gemini the 20th and into the 21st here. Uh, immediately, immediately, we have Gemini, I'm oh, sorry, the Gemini sun making a conjunction with Mercury, its host. So that's called the inferior conjunction or the Kazemi, Mercury being in the heart of the sun, meeting with its host, which is really powerful. It's, it's pretty, pretty cool to have a Kazemi in that sign. Um, I think that this is, you're going to see a, a really an amazing awareness of all the different pathways that you could choose. It may feel a little overwhelming. Um, it, it is good to be curious around this period of time. It's good to explore and be flexible because when we explore different pathways and we release maybe some of the fixed energy of Taurus, sometimes we can do things way faster or may, way more efficiently than we could do in the past. I mean, think about Gemini also as like uh, the bees that are pollinating all the flowers. You got to visit some flowers to, to collect all the pollen that you need to create honey. But the end goal is to create honey. It's not just the collection of the pollen. It's not, oh, every every flower is the the end goal. You know, there is actually unity within that. You're bringing that pollen back to the hive to create something that can be nourishing. Um, it's a transition point to the to the solstice, right? It's it's it is ambitious. Right, it, it, the sun is still climbing in the sky. This is something that my uh, nightlight astrology Achutabhava teacher t- taught me was the the ambition of Gemini, where it's still uh, moving forward and rising, but when it gets to the solstice point, the sun switches directions. <laughs> so this may be part of the Gemini story as well as you get to the the end point and then you're like. I guess I got to go a different direction now, right? That may be where we get some of the fickleness. Uh, yeah. So we are blowing trippy hippies mind. All right, good. I, I love that. <laughs> Significant date here. Remco says, so relate to this myth of Ur. Love your hermit's lamp that eliminate, illuminates that. Yeah, that was a big uh, aha light bulb for me too, connecting those in the 12th house and the myth of Ur with Gemini. That, that is, that feels like truth to me. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I feel you. Uh, Henry says, I definitely hear you on all that with Gemini 
MC and Sun and Mercury in the 12th. Okay, so we've got some more confirmation of that. Tanya Gerardo says, you're describing Gemini perfect. Zero degrees Gemini rising here. Thank you for your insight. Well, see, we're getting, we're getting some great feedback with that. I love hearing when people are, are making that, that uh, connection um, and when we can help you to figure out what's going on in your life. Because I think that, I'll tell you, there's, there's not a more maligned sign in modern uh, pop astrology than Gemini. People just take a hot dump on that sign all the time, and I think it's unfair. Um, I think that it can be, uh, the, the, the necessity to explore can be frustrating for people that are less flexible. Um, but when we understand what the, maybe what the end goal is, it can really help us to navigate all those waters gracefully. Okay, so we've got this infer inferior conjunction, the retrograde conjunction, where Mercury is moving pretty slow around this, this period of time. So may, this might be a time to slow your thoughts down. Uh, yes, explore, but don't get overwhelmed by all the explorations, because uh, that could lead to some, some challenging, um, anxious, sleepless nights, potentially. The next thing we have moving forward here is we have the quarter moon. So this is the last quarter moon. Okay, let's see, the 22nd. Where is that? Yeah, should be. Maybe I had my dates a little off. No, I didn't. Just the moon moves quickly. So here is the... Uh, the last quarter moon at one degree of Pisces squaring the one degree uh, Gemini sun. There we go. On the 22nd, in the afternoon, on the 22nd. Let me get a drink of water here. All right. So what, how, what are we dealing with here? Remember we have crisis points at the squares because they're of the nature of Mars, some kind of conflict. At the first quarter moon, Rudyard describes it as a, as a crisis of materiality, bringing something into being. At the last quarter moon, he describes it as a crisis of consciousness, where we're trying to let go of something, where we're shifting our, our mindset to be able to, to consolidate the seed of wisdom and of knowledge, and then finally prepare for the new start moving forward. So here, the sun is bringing an awareness on all the different pathways we could take externally, for maybe, maybe increasing our sociability as well, and being out in the world and exploring like those little bees to all those little flowers. And the moon in Pisces one is, you know, encouraging us to go on an internal journey and to find meaning within it rather than to cast doubt. You know, Jupiter is saying, I know, whereas Gemini is like, uh, <laughs> what is this, right? <laughs> like it's saying, what does that mean? Like, what is this? Like, it's a question versus an answer type of thing. And that's a little bit too simplified, but I do think we could be feeling a tension between wanting to go on an internal journey to find our sense of authenticity versus all of the different directions that life may be pulling us um, and explorations that we might want to take externally as well mentally versus emotionally. Um, so, you know, give yourself some space to, to maybe take a time out. You know, if you're feeling like you have a lot of social obligations around this time, this, this period with the last quarter moon uh, might be a good time to, to figure out 
which of these social contacts is most important. How can you do it safely? I would still encourage everyone to, you know, be very careful out there. We're, we're at a time period where everybody's really exhausted with, you know, things like COVID and whatever. And, um, and I still think we're, we're not quite out of the woods yet. And I think that we're trying to figure out how to reintegrate, but there's still some challenges with that. And I think that uh, it's okay to take your time if you're still working through some of that. Um, so that's the 22nd. There's, there's an, another uh, event happening on this day. Uh, you can see that Mercury, after its Kazemi with the, with the sun, is immediately backing up into Taurus. So, you know, we're going to have some realizations about our options, but we may have to go back and, and take care of some things that we maybe didn't do correctly the first time. Uh, we have to learn, learn from some of our mistakes, take care of some maybe material things that we uh, may have uh, failed at in the beginning of this cycle. So reviewing what worked and what didn't, how can you protect your, your, your harvest, right? How can you protect what you've planted, your crops? Um, and maybe casting some, asking some real questions on how to deal with some natural forces that were out of your control the first time around. We also have a supportive sextile of Mars and, um, Mars and Pluto on this day as well. So you can see that we've got Mars you know, rooting out the sources of corruption and helping us to root out those sources of corruption potentially um, by making contact with Pluto in the last degrees of Capricorn. All right. Let's move to the 23rd. Almost done. We're heading around the bend here. Thank you so much for everyone who's hung out with me today on this Friday. I hope that you're all doing well on Earth Day. I uh, hope that you're able to get outside a little bit. <laughs> like, maybe take me on your podcast. Oh, if you have a good internet connection somewhere and sit underneath a tree and get some sun on your face or something like that. Um, or if you're outside now and you're listening later, good for you. <laughs> like, um, so we're seeing a, a few sextiles on the 23rd. Uh, the sun will be sextiling Jupiter on the 23rd, which should feel like a some a nice aspect potentially where we're able to individuate uh take maybe take some actions through our explorations that lead to a, a, a greater sense of independence and and sovereignty uh the sun will be conjoined the fixed star mirfak at two degrees of gemini which is also in the hex in the constellation of perseus it's the right side of perseus so again some young young energy uh, at play. It's, it's a very action-orientated fixed star, so that combined with, with uh, Jupiter it could be a, maybe a busy day. Uh, and Mars will be sextiling uh, that, that uh, Mercury retrograde as well in Taurus, so potentially some, some fruitful conversations, uh, some great ideas maybe about how to move forward right before Mars moves into Aries. So we got to tie up some loose ends on the 23rd, before we take that big action. Like, so it's a good day for planning, you know, plan, plan things out. And then on the 24th, bam, Mars is moving into Aries. Uh, it's in its own domicile. It's diurnal domicile. It's applying to a three degree uh, conjunction with Jupiter. So we may be really wanting to take a big action. <laughs> like, I guess I would try not to get over, uh, 
over enthusiastic about it, but um, there's a lot of raw yang force. Um, Austin Kappa calls that deck in the axe. So a lot of times the the energy we're putting forth, uh, I talked about this in my Aries Deccans webinar, is there might be collateral damage. We, it's just kind of swinging wildly. So be careful not to swing too wildly. Um, we may have a little bit of help on that day from the sextile of Venus and Saturn. So there may be some sobriety that comes into play here a little bit, uh, helping helping us. Um, Venus will be in her own face, her own decan in the third decan of Aries. So there is a little bit of charisma and uh, sex appeal, I guess, <laughs> with Venus in this decan. Um, but it may be m married with some practicality, making some contact with Saturn. So this is a good time to, to utilize your charisma to win over maybe a hostile crowd, um, utilizing your sense of humor, utilizing your, um, your social grace, and to, to be able to also be realistic though. So ma marry that charisma with a, with a sense of realism, and I think you'll be able to navigate this day uh, correctly. On the 25th of May, uh, we will have a trine between retrograde Mercury and Pluto. So again, we, we experienced this aspect on the 28th when those planets were direct and Pluto was just starting to turn retrograde. So look back on the 28th of April. We haven't quite gotten there yet uh, as of this recording, but figure out what's going on there. There may be themes that are coming up once again about, you know, ideas to to be able to unearth things that we've repressed and deal with them in a in a unique and innovative way potentially you know reviewing some of the the systems material systems that we have in our life um, as we move forward to the 27th we are going to have a square this is the diff one of the difficult aspects of the end of the month there's going to be a square between venus and pluto so you can see here that we may run into some challenges when we're trying to win someone over. Um, I would highly recommend um, trying to avoid getting into some kind of power struggle. Uh, you know, yes, you can try to convince someone of your point of view, but there's limitations to how far you should go with that. Uh, I would stop short of manipulating someone or, or trying to utilize nefarious or underhanded me methodology to get what you want. Um, that could be a temptation with this Venus uh, Pluto square. Um, and we may have just some conflict between, you know, you and maybe some of the bureaucratic systems in your life. And I don't know if you've, all of you have been into like the DMV or something, but you can be as charming as you want. And you're probably not going to get into the front of the line any faster. So <laughs> that's probably mm -hmm. something to consider as you're as you're moving forward with this Venus Pluto square. So maybe some challenging uh, relationship conversations as well that, that are regarding individuality within our relationships also, because we're really there's a lot of energy right now towards you know individuating and saying I just want to be me. I want to be myself, um, and that may bring up some tough conversations in our life. Okay, and that's the that's the final uh, aspect that Venus is going to make in her exile before the next day she moves into Taurus. Yay! 
So now we have Venus in the first decade of Taurus in its own domicile. Uh, she, she's much happier here, um, able to be more receptive rather than um, rash or pursuing of things. She's letting them come to her. Uh, there is potential to plan well with Venus in the first decade of Taurus. This is a planning decade where we may be able to utilize the, the Mercury-ruled face of Taurus to be able to, um, you know, see what the potential is for growth, okay? Like, like this is where you're plotting out your garden before you actually plant the seeds and things like that. And a little bit of preparation may go a long way here. So it's a great time for preparation and having the resources you need come to you for, to prepare for the, the, the fertility cycle. As we move forward to the 29th, um, we're going to see Mars making its conjunction with Jupiter. Oh boy. So this one, I'm a little bit nervous about this one, actually. On the plus side, it could represent that moment where you're finally able to take action under your own power and you, that you could bring honor and merit by taking action under your own power. On the negative side, potentially in the collective, you know, people maybe everybody may be trying to take action under their own individual power and that could lead to some conflicts when everybody wants to have their own way um, inevitably you're going to butt heads like like two male rams fighting for territory so there could be some explosive energy here with mars and jupiter coming together i believe this aspect there was a jupiter mars aspect when there was like this uh fertilizer fire in like, uh, what was that country? Beirut or something like that. I, this was a while ago. This was a couple years ago. But the, the, I remember with Jupiter and Mars coming together, it was a huge explosion type of thing. So um, I guess be, be very careful about how you direct your energy, um, how you assert yourself, because the conflict could be blown out of proportion. It could get big if you are trying to um, deal with that. Um, it, again, it could be it could, there could be positive sides to it, but again, we always have to kind of look at both sides of of a, a astrological aspect. And the final thing that we have on May the thirtieth is a new moon. So we have a new moon in Gemini. Happy heavenly birthday to my mom on May thirtieth here, uh, and we will have a new start in the Gemini area of our life. So take a look at where Gemini falls in your chart. Recognize that this will be yet another signpost with a proliferation of options, a proliferation of new uh, things that we could explore, new avenues that we could be looking at. Um, and you know, new, new, social, new social types of uh, opportunities as well. You know, Gemini season for me, Gemini is on my 11th house. So in Gemini season, there's always like, I've gone to conferences. There was like the UAC conference during Gemini season for me. Um, I participate in like group classes and things like that. So communication may be enhanced around this period of time. We're still in the midst of a Mercury retrograde. And at the end of the month, Mercury is going to be emerging as the morning star when it, when it separates by 15 degrees and it's gonna start turning direct at that point. So very shortly at the, at the beginning of June, 
Mercury stations direct right around this 26 degrees of Taurus. So again, a moment of phosphorus where, you know, there's going to be an omen that's speaking, especially maybe in your Taurus area of your chart that's worth paying attention to, messages that you will receive, something finally moving forward in, in a way that is uh, hopefully that has redone some of the, maybe the mistakes that you made previously. And again, don't beat yourself up for those mistakes. I would I would highly encourage you to take things slow over the next month or so, but sometimes you just have to do stuff. Sometimes you just have to take an action and you can't do it perfectly. And it will just, you will have the opportunity to redo it is what I'm saying. So that is the month of May. Uh, so to summarize and put a bow on this at the end of the show, Thank you all for sticking around and um, for all the beautiful comments and donations. If you want to donate to what we're doing here, there's a super chat or you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. Um, please hit that like button if you're still around. That's always the easiest thing you can do. Uh, and just your presence is valued by me here. Uh, let's talk about the, the, the guinea pig a little bit uh, and then the I Ching. So the guinea pig, I, I, I like to use this book um, it's called Animal Frequency by Melissa Alvarez. It's sort of like my tarot deck for animal symbols. And I just flip through randomly and pick one for, for these lunations. And the guinea pig, according to Melissa Alvarez, symbolizes spiritual growth, connecting with like-minded people, welcoming new ideas, flexibility. Uh, they're very social animals. Uh, they enjoy uh, affection with one another. Um, so, so I think that as we move into Gemini season, reaching out to your uh, community, being open to new ideas and new perspectives is very important. Um, sometimes when we see things in a different way through, through exploring a different tributary in our life, that can help us to be more effective and efficient. Uh, they talk about watching your diet with, with the guinea pig. Guinea pigs have difficulty producing vitamin C and they also can't sweat. Um, so, you know, make sure you're getting enough vitamin C, <laughs> like sure you're taking care of your body. Uh, they also have difficulty seeing what is right in front of them, which causes them to overeat sometimes. So, you know, looking at things from multiple angles and perspectives can be helpful because if we get too myopic, if we get too focused on what's right in front of us, we may miss all the peripheral things. And that's what Gemini is really good at is showing us all the things on from every different angle, exploring, right? expanding all of our options and perspectives. Um, a guinea pig also takes lots of short naps, apparently. So if there's a lot going on in your life, and there will be in May, uh, try to take some rest every once in a while. You may, not, you may not get the big nap. You may not get the big relaxation, but you can steal a moment here and there to, to you know, take care of yourself and practice good self-care. Um, there are also avid groomers, uh, guinea pigs, they shed a lot. I had a guinea pig when I was a kid, and they just shed all over the place. But they, if you're grooming them properly, that, that probably helps a little bit. Um, they make these interesting little squeaks, like so they, they're communicating all the time. But maybe practice good hygiene and self-care around this period of time. Uh, you know, make sure you're taking a shower and make sure you, you know, take care of your body, get good sleep. Um, I can't emphasize enough how much more difficult facing the ups and downs of our life is when we're sleep deprived and when we're dehydrated and when we're hungry. Um, this is coming from a Taurus moon. Trust me. Uh, 
eat, sleep, drink water, rest, and you will be much more grounded and centered, especially when life is throwing you all sorts of challenges. Um, I know that I'm at my absolute worst when I'm hungry, uh, tired, or thirsty. So take good care of yourself. And the hexagram that I have today is number 49. And number 49 translates to revolution, molting, shedding old skin, metamorphosis, transformation out with the old, uh, which is perfect for eclipse season, right? Especially one that is bringing in, um, you know, the serpentine energy of Scorpio and, you know, also of Algol and Medusa, right? With the snakes, with the head and for the hair. Um, and there's a changing line that is moving us to hexagram 43, which is called resolution, determination, decisiveness, speaking forthrightly, elimination, eradicating remaining evils, parting, cutting off, breakthrough. And that changing line is the second line. And it says, when one's own day comes, one may create revolution. Starting brings good fortune, no blame. All right, so in the translation that I like, which is called The Laws of Change by Jack M. Balkin. And I look at multiple translations when I'm doing this, but that's my favorite. He talks about reaching a point where change is necessary. Uh, it is time to move forward, but it, he talks about planning thoroughly, uh, gathering support from friends and associates, right? Like the guinea pig, being social, tapping into that Gemini energy, uh, being firmly committed to new success and to new the new quote-unquote order that he is talking about. Um, half measures aren't going to work this time around. This is, it's time to, to take the mantle of the new um, narrative that is, is, is playing out. Uh, if you're just committing to it intellectually, he says, uh, that's a half measure. So spiritually and emotionally commit to your new reality rather than just the ideal of it. You know, take some action, you know, be all in. If you're holding back, the outcome can never be as good as if you fully commit to something. Um, the right inner attitude can help you put all these pieces in place, as within, so without, as above, so below. If you're conflicted inside, the results that you have externally um, are also going to reflect that, that inner conflict. So try to get into harmony with yourself as you move forward. And then just make a new start. Sometimes you don't have to have it all figured out. We're, we're going into a place where the eclipses sometimes bring blindness, right? The, the lights are shut off on some level. Sometimes we just have to take a leap of faith during eclipse season um, and utilize that beginner's mind. Um, I like to talk about when I do my tutoring and my teaching, uh, one method is beginning with the end in mind. So having a goal can help you figure out what you're going to do next. So the goal could change too. You don't have to necessarily stick to that end goal, but if you have at least an idea of the, the big picture of where you're heading, that can really tell you and inform you what kind of steps you would take next. So having that beginner's mind, having a strong vision, and again, commit to it, you know, show up. It's going to be hard. The new, the new thing is always scary. It's always feels overwhelming, but you got this. Remember the times that you've been through where you started something new and scary and eventually you figured it out and it became like second nature to you, like riding that bike, you know? You fell off a few times. You skinned your knee. Um, you cried. <laughs> you know, a mom or dad carried you back to the house and dressed your wounds. You had the support of your community. 
but eventually you got right back on that bike and you you learned and there was freedom and sovereignty that came with that new vehicle that you mastered and this eclipse season is much like that and remember that you've gone through it before and you'll have to continue to do it as we go through and embrace the changes in our life all right my friends i think that's what i've got for you today i'm just taking a look at the chat see if there's any final comments uh Henry is saying, I'm so looking forward to Venus and Taurus, especially with Gemini full moon. A full moon, interesting because of the first lunation since the eclipse and Mars retrograde starting here in a few months. Yeah, that's something on the horizon. Mars is going to be retrograding in Gemini, so maybe some some uh, backtracking with that. Um, <laughs> Dimphy says, guinea pig naps sound familiar over the last days after hard work outside. And just, I have to start watching the diet. Yeah, you and me both, Dimphy. I'm getting a little bit of the winter pudge, <laughs> the middle age, little spare tire here. Uh, too much granola, <laughs> too many carbs. Sometimes when you do, when you're just busy, you just want what's easy that you can just shove in your face. You know, that's a, that's one of my challenges is I have to take my time and make the food instead of just being like, what is easy? And uh, that, that's how you can make a healthier choice. Um, all right. So my friends, that's what I've got for you today. Again, I want to just say thank you so much for being here with me today. Please, 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 uh, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. If you're new here, uh, sign up for the decans of Taurus, uh, reach out for a reading or for tutoring. I love teaching. Um, maybe we can set up, uh, some kind of a guided, um, exploration of Demetra's work as well. And, um, again, just roll with the changes. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to one another. Uh, appreciate you so much as a community. And we'll all get through this time together. And looking forward to seeing you all the next time, okay? All right, my friends. Take care and have a good one. Peace.